You're listening to episode 60 of G.I. Joburg, the Nets-only podcast dealing with G.I. Joe coming to you from sunny South Africa. And this is our 60th episode, which has a neat symmetry because why? Because it was six years ago that the G.I. Joe fan community welcomed with open arms a little something called G.I. Joe Resolute. Dun, 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 dun. My name is Steven, and I'm joined, as always, by my faithful cohorts. I still play with my toys, Paul. Robert, he, he, yeah, enjoys watching TV series. You dropped the ball, Rob! Oh, oh God. And we have one other gentleman in the mix tonight. Uh, some of you might be familiar with him. He's joined us on a number of our missions. He does hail from North America, and he goes by the name of... Special Missions Cujo, reporting for duty. Outstanding. His uniform is like yours, except more brightly colored. (laughs) (laughs) And yes, folks, we're talking about something that I've been itching to talk about, oh, probably since uh, before we even started G.I. Joburg. Resolute has huge resonances (laughs) for this fan. I hope it bodes the same for the rest of, uh, of this podcast's membership. It's everything that I absolutely love and adore about G.I. Joe in one very neat, just over 50 minutes package. It has some killer moments, great animation, the toys are superb. It's just a little gem of goodness in a sea of uh, mediocrity. Mediocrity, yeah. It's a good word, huh? Mm. As opposed to mediocrity, which I used to think the word was. How embarrassing. You know, all my... English lit student friends were like, oh, that guy. Yes, because I cut those potatoes. Boring! <laughs> Let's talk about G.I. Joe Resolute. <laughs> Folks, just over six years, I think it was probably in the region of seven years ago, if you happen to be one of those lucky souls that attended SDCC of 2008, and you happen to be a fan of G.I. Joe, then perhaps you happen to watch a promo screening of a little sting that was produced in anticipation of the G.I. Joe Resolute webisodes. This sting started off much like any other Sunbow animated cartoon, with the traditional G.I. Joe fanfare, Flint pointing his finger, and the giant Cobra airship looming large over the horizon that we watched in our very recent reviews on the Pyramid of Darkness. It was filtered with a sepia tone, and eventually, just like old stock footage, it burned away to reveal a new banner, G.I. Joe Resolute. And immediately, we're plunged into an action set piece, which has two instantly recognizable Joes, that being Duke and Roadblock, running away from a hail of gunfire. Yes, gunfire. I'm not talking red and blue lasers. I'm talking bullets, bullet casings, live ammunition, tracer rounds. The landscape, which is a forest, is getting chewed up by this hail of automatic gunfire. And our two protagonists seek refuge inside what is, I suppose, a bit of a shed or a, some kind of outhouse. Like and, ruin, yeah. Yeah. and they're calling in backup. And backup arrives in the shape of Snake Eyes. A shot from high in the trees, we see Snake Eyes descend on this group of blue shirt cobras. And using his 
katana or tanto it's a short uh, is it tanto not a wakizashi (laughs) best you mind your p's and q's sir using this blade he dispatches the unit of cobras with extreme prejudice he is seen driving the blade into one cobra and then twisting it i mean we are definitely setting new parameters in terms of the level of violence a G.I. Joe cartoon demonstrates. I mean, up until this point, we'd had Sunbow, we'd had Deke, we'd had Sergeant Savage, we'd had G.I. Joe Extreme, and then Sigma Six. All of which were quite wacky at times, but definitely non-violent. Characters with swords only ever used them to cut chandeliers down. (laughs) And characters with laser guns only ever used them to shoot away cover or, I don't know, create an atmosphere of red and blue. Duke and Roadblock are running away from bullets, not running towards them. That's something that's unusual for the cartoon. A lot of paradigms were shattered. So, naturally, the fan community waited with bated breath for G.I. Joe Resolute to debut. It was going to change the game. So, in April of 2009... On Adult Swim Video, which is an internet channel, we witnessed at midnight of every night that week a new webisode, G.I. Joe Resolute, and it was good. Oh, man. I remember seeing them shortly after they had initially aired so that I could watch them all in sequence. I sat down with my buddy Rob and Elle, our other friend who's... I suppose got a real life now that doesn't involve action figures. Shame on them. I know, right? (laughs) We sat down and we watched this back-to-back, and we just didn't know what we were seeing. We were were absolutely gobsmacked. It was something truly unique and special to behold and really, really lit a fire in our passion for this stuff. Well, obviously not enough of a blaze in, uh, in, in, in Alistair's life, but... You know, he's got a business now. <clears throat> Good for him. <laughs> <laughs> and that was G.I. Joe Resolute. But I think the most intriguing thing that immediately set G.I. Joe Resolute apart from their from its predecessors in the animation stakes was, for whatever reason, the producers decided to hire a writer who had up until that point had absolutely nothing to do with G.I. Joe. Yeah. Which I think is a great move. It seems that's what they were, they were looking for. Um, Warren Ellis himself on his on his website says of the executive producer of the show. That was the writer's name, by the way, ladies and gentlemen yes, of the Warren audience. Ellis. fellow called Warren Ellis. Yes. The a, awesome Warren Ellis. Amazing. I well, to give you a bit of background before I go into like, yeah, but um. Warren Ellis is a British comic book writer. He's probably most well-known for comic. He's done a bit of Judge Dredd. Probably his most well-known thing, I think, in general, would be Iron Man Extremis, which was a six-part comic where Marvel, they kind of used that as their template, in a way, for his look in the films themselves, I think. And probably one of my favorites by him is a recent run in 2014 of Moon Knight, which was, was quite awesome. So sort of each issue was sort of a standalone story, very well illustrated and cool like twists and stuff happening and they're very realistic so he's done tons and tons of of comics 
but he had never really set eyes on G.I. Joe, which was a reason why that they wanted him to do it, because they saw he could also do a lot of like more adult stuff in the comics, like in Transmetropolitan, as well as Authority and Planetary. And he also did his own um, sort of short, I think it was just basically one comic called Red, which was the inspiration for the uh, the two films called Red with Bruce Willis et al. They wanted a PG-13 version of G.I. Joe, and they wanted someone to do it who had no connection with the original material. So they had a new idea, new ideas coming in to the property, I think. And perhaps someone without an agenda already. I mean, if you put Larry Harmer in the seat, I mean, we all respect the man. He's done amazing work for G.I. Joe. He is Mr. G.I. Joe, but he would certainly have such a, a history with the brand that all of his stuff would be colored in a way that, that kind of demands a lot from its audience, you know, in terms of backstory and understanding of where everyone's coming from. A lot of the histories of characters for Harmer are taken for granted because he has fleshed them out over decades. So... You know, having someone fresh kind of makes it more accessible, surely. Yeah, no, I, I definitely think so as well. And as as Warren Ellis himself said, Resolute was a fusion of the cartoons and the comics and not beholden to its other iterations, which is what they wanted. They wanted a version of G.I. Joe that could be very accessible, but also very recognizable to anyone who had, you know, sort of seen it before. Also, what Warren, Warren Ellis said, because just to sort of illustrate how little knowledge he had of G.I. Joe, he said... The closest I got to a G.I. Joe comic was drinking with Larry Harmer. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. I wouldn't mind having been a fly on the wall at that particular watering hole. Was that from an uh, interview or something? That's on Warren Ellis's website. Okay. When the episodes came out, I think he does sort of like, perhaps not a daily blog, but he sort of blogs very often. And at the time that the Resolute episodes were coming out, he would kind of on his he would post on his website like, ooh, this thing is coming out, or you'd say, hey, go check out the latest episode yeah, yeah. this thing came out, and he would kind of just go into a little bit. I mean, he kind of went, yeah. So he explained a little bit about why he was chosen and and stuff like that on his on his own website. So, yeah, Good stuff. Yeah, no, brilliant. I remember reading at one point that he had done sort of, not a binge watch, but he had actually watched a few episodes of the animated series and gone through some of the comic books that were suggested to him also by friends and, and whatnot who were G.I. Joe fans before penning Resolute. I remember reading that somewhere. Citation needed, obviously. <laughs> yeah, he kind of immersed himself in, in into it for a while just to get a, a good idea of, of, of what it actually was so that he could go and do his own thing. Um, it's yeah. kind of like if you look at J.J. Abrams. I mean, he came from a Star Wars background, and then he came yeah. and did a Star Trek film. And definitely if you watch yeah. the second Star Trek film, um, Into, Into Darkness, Darkness, you can see that he has done his research, and he's kind of picked out from, from previous stories ways of telling these new stories so that they kind of... Uh, Come telling, on! He's telling a, <laughs> spoilers! He's telling a similar story to what's come before, but his own way. Mm. I understand the architecture. I think that in both cases, Abrams and uh, Ellis, I think sometimes they're dead on and sometimes they miss. But we'll get to that. Maybe that's an interesting segue. Cujo. Yes, sir. Warren Ellis did uh, definitely add a lot to, to the G.I. Joe lore that we so love. There were similarities and there were differences to previous iterations of Joe. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Uh, well, I mean, I can go into what I recognize as, like, character inconsistencies and how I prefer them. To me, like, a lot of the subplots, uh, sometimes, you know, 
there's the love triangle between Snake Eyes, uh, Duke, and Scarlet. I believe. <laughs> I suppose we had to get into that somewhere. We might as well. Well, I, I, crack that I don't one open first. Into the plot line, but I mean, either way it breaks, it's intriguing. So I, I don't mind where where Scarlet or Duke or Snake Eyes end up. It, it's an interesting arc. There's an elegance to how quickly it's set up and how quickly it's kind of semi-resolved. Yes. Agreed. Scarlet's yeah, kind of made it, up her you? mind. And it well, begs the question, man, like, we're jumping in at the end point of this love triangle, but, man, oh, man, there's a prequel there just waiting to be written. Sure, it's, I mean, that's fan service. Every, every fan is like, they know the history between these characters, so... Yeah, but they don't know the history collapsed into one universe. I mean, just to put it in perspective for those of us who might not know, in the comic books, Snake Eyes and Scarlet were an item way back i mean f- within the first 10 issues they were they were sort of considered a, a team together and that kind of isolated them a lot and and then you know w- within the teens of the run we started seeing yes scarlet has feelings for him oh they've had a romantic relationship oh snake eyes has actually risked his life for her saving her from a helicopter accident so i mean the the the, the spiral uh, increases Duke only entered the, the line later in 1983-84, so uh, in terms of the comic book writing, he was too late to be part of a Scarlet uh, romance. But for the cartoons, it was the perfect timing. So Duke and Scarlet always had an on-and-off flirtation. It, it feels like it has some nuance to it. I mean, even if you're a female appreciator of G.I. Joe, there's the love triangle between the bad boy, who is essentially Snake Eyes, because you never see his face. There's mystery. And then Duke, who's more reliable, probably has a steady income. Nazi poster so boy. Yeah, so there's some, a, uh, there's some subtext there. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. I actually find that in Resolute, that role is reversed. In Resolute, Snake Eyes is actually the Boy Scout, and Duke is the bad boy. Um, it's yeah. just because of that manly scar, isn't it? Well, it's not just that. <laughs> Yeah, no, the way Snake Eyes is presented in the Arshikage yeah. man, he's definitely like, you know, the golden boy. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, between him and Duke, surely Duke's like just the, the upper crust of like soldiering well, goodness. Duke yeah, also has some really good hair in this <laughs> in this cartoon, so I mean, there's but, that. But the thing is like in Resolute specifically, and... and this is something that made me like Duke. I really like how Duke is kind of grizzled now, if you know what I mean. Like, he, he seems a lot more um, aggressive and a lot more kind of jaded in a weird way in Resolute. And I like that because that's also a combination of his entire experience in the Sunbow run. He really hates Cobra now. Like, before it's kind of like, yeah, we need to stop Cobra because they're bad. But now it's like, he really hates Cobra. You, I at least got that impression from him. I liked that characterization quite a bit, so much so that it's completely flipped my opinion on Duke. And he started becoming a character I really enjoyed, uh, and have really enjoyed since Resolute, but not so much before. Paul, what set your your love for Duke so low initially? I don't like characters like Cyclops in cartoons. I always find Sadly, not many people do. <laughs> it's I, a flaw yeah, but... when your leader is like you know, your most uncharismatic character. It's well, there we go. It, it's like he can do no wrong. Everything's good. Everything's great. He's kind of typical. It, it just, it ends up being like, okay, oh, cool. He's the boss. But the rest of us misfits will go and have fun anyway. 
I've never liked that kind of character, and I think a lot of people can relate to me in this regard. I just find that they're just holier than thou, and and just growing up, I've known people that have been holier than thou, and I still wish I could kick them in the balls. Look, if um, handled properly, a leader should be quite three-dimensional and presented better than that. Unfortunately, we get uh, sequences like, you know, the most recent X-Men outing where Cyclops is back and more douchey than ever. I mean, yeah. wow, those specs he was rocking at the end of Days of Future Past. Ho, 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 <laughs> dickhead. <laughs> yeah. let, me, let me lead us back into the light for a second. Um, <laughs> Please. Not no, the gritty quartz glow. Go ahead. I did uh, I did appreciate uh, a couple little things about uh, Snake Eyes and Duke in this one. I'm really glad they went with the first iteration of Snake Eyes, uh, the the old school goggles. And and I thought it was suck interesting. on that pole. That's right. <laughs> I also appreciated the fact that Duke seems to have a real good uh, grenade arm. Like he's on point with every grenade toss in the thing, which they don't really show with anybody else. So I, I like that too. Well, that's, it's good that's to know right. that you're like super secret special ops task force, ostensibly the finest soldiers in the world know how to throw a grenade. Well, I think <laughs> I'll take I, that I, point. What, what I got uh, from what Kujo said is that uh, the Scarlet Duke Snake Eyes thing has been unresolved for so long with Duke that uh, he, he's been keeping that grenade arm uh, well exercised. Oh, nicely done. Nicely done. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. He, he did have a good underhand technique. So there's that. <laughs> oh, boy. So, it didn't take long. What did that take us? Like five minutes? <laughs> what, what did we all think about the, the difference between the uh, uh, Arashikage clan as it's presented here with the, the emphasis on this sort of... Um, seven steps to the sun martial arts techniques that they've been taught. Because, I mean, that, that that's not established anywhere else in any other version of G.I. Joe. Maybe it? not by name, but uh, the hard master was teaching Snake Eyes the cloak of the chameleon when he was killed by the assassin. So, you know, this concept of, like, ninja mumbo-jumbo and teaching the clan's sort of most uh, guarded techniques does have a history with G.I. Joe. It's not completely unheard of, but like the Seven Steps of the Sun perhaps represents a MacGuffin for the purposes of just shorthanding Storm Shadow's jealousy. The teaching of, of the Seven Steps to the Sun was the straw that broke the clan's back and made Storm Shadow arrange for his uncle's assassination. To answer your question though, Rob, like I guess there are precedents. But it was just an elegant... Yeah, obviously it, it fits into the way that Ellis was telling the story. You know, it's a like departure there, there's something, Yeah, there's something that, that I know that you don't know, and I want to know it. But, but you know, and he's jealous, mm. in, you know, in, in kind of like that. Yeah. Look, you could say that Storm Shadow is a complete simplification of his, his source material, uh, at least in terms of the Marvel comic. But then again, like, these were 11 webisodes... To flesh out, like, the crux of the G.I. Joe conflict in 11 webisodes is, it's remarkable that they got as far as the ninja stuff. Well, they I could mean, have they just focused the... on Cobra and G.I. Joe fighting it out. Yeah, I mean, they got to the heart of it, essentially. You know, it's, it's, it's Storm Shadow versus Snake Eyes duality. You know, there's the good and the bad, essentially. And it has to come to a head eventually. It certainly was, uh, more rationally dealt with 
than uh, the feature film that followed hotly on Resolute's heels called Rise of Cobra, which involved two nine-year-olds, you know, flinging nunchucks at each other. Yeah. In the comic book, Snake Eyes is a tragic character, as we all very well know. And the rivalry between Snake Eyes and Storm Shadow is legendary, as we all know. But I really like Storm Shadow being a bad guy. And I really like that in Resolute, Snake Eyes is shown as a tragic character. We give Snake Eyes a bit of a tragic edge in that little moment. It's it's enough to sort of sell that, oh, okay, you know what? Even though Snake Eyes is being taught uh, by the Hardmaster secretly or whatever, you know, we still get the impression that, okay, he comes from a difficult background. Now he's got his best friend sort of being very jealous of him learning these techniques. So we set up Snake Eyes' tragedy without having to go into his family dying, and which I thought was very, very smart. This whole section, this whole martial arts section, yeah, once again, I'm not going to go into things like the Seven Steps in the sun, uh, of the Sun because I think uh, you could call it Barney's Hub Keto, you know, rolling flip fall, I give a shit, because that's not what's important. The, the thing that is important here is that Snake Eyes is getting extra attention, and he's getting that extra attention not because the Hardmaster feels sorry for him, but because the Hardmaster recognizes a humility and a personal sense of responsibility within Snake Eyes and feels that somebody like Snake Eyes could actually carry his lineage through, which is juxtapositioned with Storm Shadow being quite a spoiled brat and, and being somewhat entitled on top of being talented as a martial artist. And I love how that sets the friction. You know, we didn't have to have this whole big backstory. We just have this little bit of a backstory that's enough uh, that really pushes things through. It puts the ninja, the whole ninja side of the story into relevance again in a way that's not hokey and crazy because that's where the sort of director DVD with the action figure episodes went with with that shit and also where Devil Dew went with that shit. Yeah, I mean the Hell Hardmaster himself kind of summarizes the differences between the two where he... I mean, you know, paraphrasing, he basically says, Snake Eyes, for him, violence is it's a burden to him. Yeah. Well, for Storm Shadow, it's less than breathing. Yeah. It's just that easy for him to kill. And martial arts, in a lot of ways, can be a burden. And a lot of people in training don't actually figure that out for a long time. And I was really impressed um, by Warren Ellis sort of bringing that up within the storytelling, which to me was just a major nod to Larry Harmer, who sort of said the same thing in the comic run. I have a continuity question. Is that where that island is, where where the base is set up? Or, I'm sorry, the dojo? Is that a real location in the comic, or was that just for this cartoon? The Arusha Kage training hall does exist. As far as I know, in the comic book, it's not in the mountains. But that's just my memory. Well, that was on an island. I think it's in the suburbs of Okinawa, I think. Yeah. But uh, the... (laughs) The Resolute's location is is pretty picturesque. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's that's oh, yeah. beautiful, that island. Here's my beef with the flashback, though. I thought that visually, and this isn't on the writer, this is more just on my own visual hang-ups, the, the characters looked so good in the anime style that it when it flashed back to more ordinary people, and the, of course they had the masks over their faces and stuff, I just I wanted to see more of the real time characters, not so much like flashback younger versions. But that's that's my only beef there. I don't know. It kind of took me out of the visual aesthetic for a bit. I was just so in love with the scripting at that point that uh, okay, they could have been stick figures for all I care. I think that sequence that deals with the conflict between Storm Shadow and and the Hardmaster is so beautifully scripted 
that I, I could close my eyes, just just enjoy the setting of the backstory. I mean, totally. Storm Shadow is just poking the bear, man. He's trying different tactics to get something out of his uncle. He's goading him. He's mocking him. He's pleading with him. He's threatening him. Uh, and and ultimately he has him killed. It, that scene, it, it's because it's it, it it does play out over perhaps the longest continuous bit of scene work in Resolute because Resolute, by the nature of the beast, it has to be quite choppy. It moves from setting to setting to setting quite quickly. But they get decided to give that an entire webisode uh, length to play out that backstory. And they and and you know coming from a guy who is not necessarily that partial to the, the, the ninja aspect of G.I. Joe. I found that immensely watchable. And then it must have been doing something right. Did anybody have any problem with the... In the comics, we know that Snake Eyes was not aware of who killed the Hardmaster. Am I correct? I'm uh, sorry, Storm correct. Shadow. Yes. Storm Shadow. Both. In the, in the cartoon, Storm Shadow actually set the hit up. Did anybody have a problem with that? Like, I thought that I like the Storm Shadow character not knowing who the assassin was because the arc where him and Snake Eyes come back together as friends, uh, e- either in the comic run or the toy line, that's a stronger emotion for me Absolutely. as a fan. Absolutely. It's, it's fundamental that Storm Shadow be the conflicted warrior. The only reason he enlists in Cobra and aids a terrorist organization is not because he loves killing or is inherently evil. No ways. It's because he's trying to determine the identity of his uncle's killer. So Storm Shadow is actually, at his heart, one of the good guys. He's really just looking to exact justice. Resolute, once again, we're dealing with such a brief series that uh, it was one of the things that fell under the bus. So they decided to set Storm Shadow up as an unrepentant bad guy. Some people have mourned that. In fact, a lot of people have mourned it, as you have now, Cujo. But, I don't know if I'm mourning it. I think just with, asking if it conflicted you guys. Oh uh, no, because we we all know now that Resolute did not have a future, so mm. we weren't losing a beloved character. We were just okay. seeing a fresh, new spin, within a very self-contained and brief flash in the pan. So it didn't really hurt. It, yeah, it didn't hurt GI Joe continuity to have Storm Shadow dealt with in this way. It just served to create one hell of a cool set piece. So, I mean, their showdown was worth it. As I said earlier, I like Storm Shadow being a bad guy because we've had a lot of him being a conflicted character, and I kind of like this being different from that. I like this being he's a balls-to-the-wall bad guy. And also, a small little nuance in the Resolute movie, or I'm going to call it the movie just because I've watched it as one continuous take, is I think Storm Shadow is very well aware of the fact that Zartan killed um, Hardmaster. I don't think he's the one who sets it up, though. I think he finds out later on, because Zartan is still alive, which shows you that this Storm Shadow is a real dick. You know, he's not conflicted here. He's he's an asshole, um, through and through. Oh, uh, no, Paul, I think the implication is pretty clear that Storm Shadow set up the hit. Yeah. I don't know. I, per- I didn't perhaps get by that, employing yeah. Cobra, and Cobra employed Zartan, I don't think Storm Shadow necessarily knew who the sniper was going to be. Uh, but, you know, it, it's clear that he orchestrated it. Yeah, no, definitely. Because, I mean, he kind of, he pulls off his mask, throws it into the wind, and that's the signal for whoever that is out there to kill his uncle. Yeah. 
So, I mean, it definitely, I mean, he meant to kill his uncle. If his uncle didn't tell him what he wanted to know, then he would, he wants to be in charge of the Arashikage clan. In that vein, I would imagine that he was going to kill his uncle regardless. He just wanted that information. Yeah, I think but, so. Uh, now that you guys have illuminated it that Switching way. Switching tracks from the Arashikage mm. back to potential similarities to previous G.I. Joe lore, we had other miniseries uh, back in the 80s that we've dealt with in this very show, dealing with a, a MacGuffin called a Mass Device, dealing with a MacGuffin called a Weather Dominator, or a Pyramid of Darkness. But in Resolute, we had no less than four devices that Cobra employed to enact their master scheme. So once again, we have a kind of a cohesion between this show and the animated shows that came before. But I'm very pleased to note that this, the, the devices Cobra use are far more rooted in technology, in actual existing functional scientific equipment. And a lot more direct. I mean, essentially, it's... it's a yeah, gung-ho, you know, he says, no, it's not really a laser. But essentially, yeah, it's a big laser cannon that can destroy an entire city. Just to outline Cobra's plan, stage one was kill all traitors. And this is how the show opens up, with the body of Major Sebastian Blood murdered in the capital. Stage two, blow up G.I. Joe's headquarters. None other than the USS flag. I mean points for that. I mean, moving G.I. Joe onto an aircraft carrier as their base of operations is also something that's consistent with G.I. Joe cartoons before, and I think it is a very smart move, because what better staging area could you have for a special operations team that needs a global reach than to have them in a mobile base, a seagoing vessel that can launch an armada of aircraft? Mm-hmm. The flag is perfect. There's, Step- there's probably several flags poised around the world as we speak. <sighs> Which one has snake eyes? <laughs> I don't know. Sorry. Oh. I didn't mean to drag that into the reality right <laughs> Step three was to fire up the High Frequency Active Aurora Research Project, or H-A-A-R-P. The HARP system. HARP system designed to superheat the ionosphere and jam all transmissions. Effectively, a global communications blackout, stopping anyone from being able to mobilize against Cobra or even organize any kind of resistance to the plot. Step four is Cobra fire up a system that's lying dormant on their own abandoned Cobra Island, which launches these things called stratolites, a network of low-lying satellites that allow Cobra to communicate internally even though the ionosphere is superheated. And step five, fire off a particle beam weapon to wipe out a major city so that Cobra can make their resolve known. Mm -hmm. And also removing the October God from the equation. Nicely done, Paul. I didn't even think about that. Oh, and I missed the step uh, that involves Cobra Commander appearing before the United Nations (laughs) to just let everyone know that he means business. That Um, was kind of a cool scene. I like that scene. I like that, too, because he he, he, really sells his legitimacy. You know, he's not just this loon. 
I I think that was Resolute's way of saying, okay, listen, uh, we know that the cartoon always has, you know, Cobra Commander appearing up on screens all over the world, and oh, he's so dangerous, and blah, 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 but he's actually, like, a big joke, and I like that they kind of, like, preface it with, he pops up, and everybody's, like, looking at it, and then Cobra Commander's, like, telling them what he's going to do, and then he does it, you know, and he actually breaks something, because I think if he didn't, I think a lot of people would have been like, okay, and then carried on with their day, you know. What well, the first thing he does is break the fourth wall because yeah. we all know Cobra Commander is like, you know, when the chips are down, he becomes a sniveling coward. Yeah. So he addresses the audience's own disbelief by saying, "Oh, in the past, it served me to appear weak, but this is the real me, and yeah. I, you know, I'm not playing anymore. Like I, I love now, that. I'm just going to bring the world to its knees and then demand its wealth." Instead of like trying to secure its wealth and then bring it to its knees. I mean, you know, it's not my favorite bit of scripting, but it certainly gets the message across that, that we want to address <laughs> the, the way Cobra Commander has been presented in the past and just say, Mm-mm, the rules have changed. This is a different, different guy. That feels on point to me. I mean, that was basically like the writer telling the fans, like, actually, we're going to take it seriously this time. Which is probably one of the biggest differences between this Cobra Commander and previous ones. And it's a welcome difference. Yeah, man. He takes his subordinates' blood and scrawls Cobra symbols. Yeah. <laughs> this guy is crawling up the walls. Cray, cray! Something We're going to edit that out, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'd like no. to gauge what you guys feel about um, the death of Major Blood, seeing as it is part of uh, Cobra's plan is to get rid of the uh, traitorous elements. Uh, Did they say what he did... It was traitorous. I think Major Blood represents, within the, the, the Cobra Legions, the closest thing you have to a, a conventional warfare commander. Whereas you've got your sedition experts like Zartan, your sabotage experts like Firefly. Major Blood, he's a mercenary, so money is his chief goal. But he is a military leader. He leads troops in the field. So he has their support more so than a more strategic mind like Cobra Commander, who's back in the base camp calling the shots. So I think Major Blood perhaps uh, was in a position to betray the commander, uh, perhaps undermined the commander from the inside. Uh, you know, it was Major Blood and the boys. Uh-huh. He, he was one of the troops. He was one of the men. He wasn't so high up on the food chain that, uh, that he was... Uh, you know, toasting with the Baroness, Destro, and the Commander. So I think Major Blood perhaps was a, a legitimate threat, and and perhaps um, one who was expendable. I mean, there are people out there that like Major Blood, but they don't like him more than they like Destro and the Baroness, or Cobra Commander, or Firefly, or Storm Shadow. So he suddenly becomes very much more expendable. Yeah, kind of disposable. In a way. If, if you want to kick your show off with a death... Yeah, he's a good choice. Yeah, in hindsight, it was the logical choice. Visually, they really did a great job on everybody in this uh, cartoon or miniseries. What they lacked is a little bit of personality. Um, whether it was with the weapons, that they just gave everybody the same weapon, uh, or... Like, Major Blood is a is a cool on-screen character. He's got that metal arm, he can crush people you know, with it. Uh, I would have liked to have seen a little more personality out of some of the characters, but if you got to take somebody out, I can see where Steven's going. 
I haven't really seen anybody treat Major Blood too well outside of the comics, so you may as well take him out because he is a more adult. You you might imagine him running the Cobra drug operations out of South America or something. So I mean, like, yeah, yeah you can take him out. It's a cartoon. My theory is this: in the GI Joe comic books. Uh, Major Blood is actually a backstabber. He's one of the guys who plots with the Baroness to have the Cobra Commander executed. So I find that in Resolute, it's kind of a small nod to that moment in the comic. Gee whiz, I forgot about that. I wonder if if Warren Ellis was aware of that. I think he was. Warren Ellis is quite cool when you when you read some of his stuff. He's quite um he's quite dark, but at the same time, he's kind of he does this like tongue and cheek thing every now and then with some of his stuff. And I think one of the reasons, like, he may have killed off Major Blood is purely because Major Blood is Australian-ish. And I think he didn't like that portrayal. I think he felt that that was very, like, ham-fisted and, and unnecessary. I think, uh, and, and, and if you look at how Major Blood is portrayed in the cartoon, he is very hokey. And I think that's why he suffered, uh, the death that he did. On top of... <laughs> Who isn't Herky in the cartoon? No, no. Oh, but... this Romeo. How gallant. Granted, <laughs> granted, but he's not this character that people are going to totally miss when he's dead. You know what I mean? Like, But I really think it's it's a very strong reference to the comic book. I think that is the whole thing. That's the whole... He's like the only guy in Cobra that is really a traitor. That has really been like sort of had the spotlight on him of traitorous bastard. And I think that's why he, they kill him. And Bazooka, but this doesn't have to be as in-depth. I just I just think after Pyramid of Darkness, I think killing Bazooka is kind of a, a mercy killing. But we, uh, Yeah, I think we are all very happy. It was, if you had to kill someone, why not Bazooka? And who do you think killed him? Alpine? <laughs> <laughs> we know who killed him. It was Storm Shadow. Dude, anytime you get a good writer, and I'm not here to say who is or who isn't, if they're aware of, you know, existing um, canon or mythology, and they do a nod like that, because they could have taken out any green shirt, but they chose Bazooka, and I, I think that is a nod to, like, the low point in the series where characters <laughs> are just being treated like clowns. So, exactly. I mean, like, I, I think I think it is on point. I think that statement says, this is not a fucking clown show. Um, the statement says, we're taking care of the class clowns. Or we're taking care of these, like, dunce characters that mean nothing. Look, there's a slightly less fuck-you kind of reason for it. The creators weren't necessarily out to to, to show the middle finger to the, the Sunbow writers. Are they you just, sure? They, just, <laughs> they, 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 they did it inadvertently um, yeah. in our eyes. But I think one of the motivations to taking out Bazooka is that there isn't a more fluffy, friendly, amiable, sweet, you know, good-natured, lovable, like, dunce than him. He exactly. was He was kind of penned as, like, the kind of Joe that everyone just should give a hug to, really. Yeah. It's, you know, oh, I think I hurt my leg. Uh, does it hurt when you stand or when you sit? Oh, both. I mean, like, shame. Just, like, pull that guy off the battlefield and give him a hot toddy and tuck him into bed. Yeah, we don't have So, having him straight up murdered, it's, 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 yeah. It's, it's one way of saying, like, we mean business. It's, it's yeah. serious now. 
Well, that, this this should tug at your heartstrings. Bazooka's dead, man. <laughs> Why would they kill Bazooka? Bazooka? Even Duke just like, like, like giving him we'll a... do it for Bazooka. I don't know, a Rubik's Cube and told him yeah, to Duke, go stand Duke was... Corner. Duke was dismissive of that moment, too. He's like, and yeah, Bazooka. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Even though, like, in the story, they, like, suggest Storm Shadow did it, I actually think that's a bit of a, a mistake. I don't think Storm Shadow did it. I actually think Firefly killed Bazooka. It was because... up. And then Firefly yeah. swam to New York and fired that missile. Well, with the hologram no. projector inside it. <laughs> the whole explosive thing... I think that's how they fixed it, because I think initially it was meant to have been Firefly. It's like, you know, you got these shape directional uh, explosives that are in the flag. Nobody knew it was happening. I'm not saying Storm Shadow is incapable of doing explosives. It's just not his thing like it's Firefly's thing. It's quite possible that they both rode over there together on the ATV. Hey! Hey, on the water! <laughs> yeah. But Storm Shadow... If both your hands are on my shoulder, what's poking me in the back? <laughs> but just hear my hear my theory out here. Firefly is on the packaging for the night landing craft, right? Firefly is released <laughs> as a figurine and is put into the seven pack. Okay? He doesn't really get any screen time. Ah, oh, but he's Firefly, my friend. He's the Boba Fett of G.I. Joe. Oh, well, exactly. That's why. That's my whole thing. That's why I think he's the one. I think it was just a mistake on Warren Ellis' part, though. He needed this message to get to Snake Eyes. It has to be Storm Shadow. So he just kind yeah. of sort of conflated Storm Shadow's part in this. He infiltrated the thing. He planted the bombs. But then, okay, yes, Firefly is the is the bomb expert. But the way that Storm Shadow blew up the flag, he didn't do a good job. I mean, the Joes themselves say that. You know, ah, good point. If, if it oh, wasn't built to G.I. Joe Specs, we'd be at the bottom of the ocean. So. He isn't an expert at this sort of thing, but I mean, it had to be Storm Shadow because he delivered that message inside Bazooka's mouth, which sets Snake Eyes going off. Which yeah. means that Storm Shadow wanted the flag and the G.I. Joe team to survive. Yeah. If Firefly had done the job, I don't think he has any reason to uh, be slipping no secret notes to Snake Eyes. Yeah. He would have made sure he got the job done and sank the flag. Storm Shadow has an agenda. He wants, he wants to call out Snake Eyes. Which uh, puts us in the middle of Sunbow territory again. That could have been one very, very strategic blow against G.I. Joe and could have helped Cobra Commander achieve his goal H had they sent Firefly in in the first place. Mm -hmm. They picked mm -hmm. the wrong Cobra. So th these were two of four deaths, or at least character deaths, in, 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 in the show. Um, the other two, obviously, being Storm Shadow and Zartan. But, I mean, death is quite a big thing in this show, because, I mean, the fact that they're shooting bullets now instead of lasers, you know, over each other's heads. I mean, there's a lot of death in this. And that's a very big difference compared to, like, you know, the previous cartoons that have come out. Yeah, and you make mention of, of four deaths, but, I mean, plenty of people died in this. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm <laughs> a lot of blue shirts. But, I mean, yeah, tons of blue shirts. And, and poor, like, deckhands on the flag. You know, there's a string of explosions that absolutely riddle the deck. And you've got, like, air traffic guys just getting absolutely blown to smithereens. Yeah, and then later in, in you know, in, in the show when um, they actually, you know, Cobra Commander finally actually destroys the flag. 
at least one or two of the helicopters or whatever do get consumed by the explosion before they all get away. So, yeah, there's tons of dead people. Further erasing uh, Alpine's role in future resolute. <laughs> <laughs> and it was the, the biggest death toll of all, Moscow. It was wiped from the face of the planet, and there's over 10 million people there. I have a bone to pick with that. If you're going to hit it close to home, if you're really going to go for the jugular, why go for a straw man like Moscow? I mean, this show would air primarily stateside and and obviously o- online to G.I. Joe fans around the world, but you know, it's it's safe to assume the the main following is probably in North America. Why not destroy a North American town? Why not destroy Washington? Like, Why not really help out America and destroy Afghanistan instead of Russia? Because, mm. <laughs> well, Sorry. look, I mean, it, it, Russia in the, the world spectrum of, of sort of politics are a bit more ambivalent. Like the United States are far more predictable in their, their foreign policy. Uh, Russia just want to expand their borders. Uh, Cobra Commander would not be necessarily scoring a strategic advantage by taking out Moscow. No, because well, he could use them against America. There, there might be something subversive here. I mean, the selection may have been to draw the viewer back to kind of the apex of the popularity of G.I. Joe, which was the 80s, which we were in a Cold War with Moscow or Russia. So maybe to kind of like pull somebody's mind back to that time frame? Possibly. I don't know. I just thought it was it was a bit of a cop-out. Like they could have gone one step further and made – the death toll really mattered to the viewership. Like, oh my god, mm. they just took out Washington. I've got family in DC. It's also, oh, it's god. also, um, <laughs> what makes sense to me is like, if, if I was Cobra Commander and I was doing this, um, if I wanted to take over the world, I would need infrastructure that's in, in place already. And, uh, destroying America's sort of ruling infrastructure would be kind of detrimental to your world domination plan because, at least if you get the whole world to submit to you and you just and you can show that you can destroy enemies, you can hold a gun to America's head essentially and kind of get them to do what you want to do, which means you have a lot more power than you than you would if you had just destroyed them because then you'd have a whole bunch of angry and really people that want to see your head on a stake yeah but Whereas, then 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 yeah. you then you particle beam New York do you see the point that I'm trying to make here like if you want to bring a nation to its knees. Sure, the first uh, bomb on Japan is just going to piss them off. But, uh, you know, they'll turn around and say, well, you don't have another one of those, do you? Until you bomb Nagasaki. And then, oh, well, shit. Okay, so they do have another one. And they probably have a third. And so, uh, like, we had better submit. Because otherwise it's our, our, our assured extinction. So I think Cobra missed an opportunity to... To take out their biggest threats or bring bring their biggest threats to its knees quicker. Like, yeah, sure, any human being would feel something at the horror of 10 million people being wiped off the face of the earth. But they're 10 million Russians. <laughs> you know? You want to well, bring the violence really close to home. Sorry, Cooch, go ahead. I was just going to say, as our politicians here stateside would say, stuff happens. Yeah. Like, that's 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 what they would literally say at this point. It's half a world away. It's like we're we're still sitting pretty. It seems like Cobra yeah. doesn't have it in for us yet. Let's mobilize the Indeed. Joes. 
Well, we're going to talk about locations now. It segues nicely. I mean, we've just spoken about Moscow. We've got uh, the United Nations Security Council meeting, or, no, the General Assembly of the United Nations, and that's in New York. We've got a number of real-world locations, which now set G.I. Joe Resolutes apart from the Sunbow cartoon, where you had locations like Rendezvous at the Sea of Lost Souls or... The City of the Damned, these kind of amorphous, pseudo-realistic looking, like, you know, typically, mm. like it looks like ancient Chinese, or it looks like this, or it looks like that, but really not, not really putting their money where their mouth is in terms of setting it in a hard and fast geographical location. Mm. Did, you, so, did you miss that flair, though? Not personally. I, I know you, you love the catchy names, but, uh, hey now. <laughs> I, I like Siberia to be Siberia and, uh, where was the hop? That was somewhere real as well. The hop is something real too. Thanks, Captain. Don't say conspiracy because it's actually not even conspiracy theory anymore. It really does exist. But yes, I, personally, I, I like having, uh, real world locations worked in. It's, it does couch the series in a real world one might say oh the technology is all hokey and the characters are hokey but you know put it in your backyard and all of a sudden hmm. i'm with you now now i'm intrigued it just helps that uh, everything else was given a, a more realistic tone anyway some of them are really really sexy to look at <laughs> for instance <laughs> and, uh... Uh, well, I really liked the uh, Rashikage Island. I thought that was very cool. I enjoy Siberia. I love the visuals there. I think it's very well set up. It's, uh, it evokes Metal Gear Solid for me when I, whenever I see it. The jungle ruins, although not so much in this show, but the jungle ruins from the, from the promo are very sexy. In fact, um, they give you that backdrop with the 1-7 pack, which I like to use in my display. Uh, and then uh, he's cool. Yeah, uh, Springfield is so plain compared to everything that it creates a really awesome contrast. Uh, shows you how well Cobra can really be under your nose without you knowing it. About like Springfield, well. though, like I, there was no civilian population. Like even before the sort of alarm that. sirens sounded and everything went into like defense mm. mode, you didn't have people in the streets like milling around the shopping mall and and like civilian cars. It was like this town was actually just a, a, a shell. It was actually a military yeah, barracks so just stocked with, with soldiers and gear. And it wasn't masquerading as yeah. a, a functioning middle American town, which, I don't know, is that a strength? Is that a weakness? I haven't decided. It certainly hmm. was dealt with very briefly, so there wasn't much time to take it any further. Yeah, I think it's a matter of uh, necessity. Uh, I think... Uh, they had to get this out. They had to be quite quick with it. I think it's a matter of like, hey, you know what? We either draw 500 people or we try to imply something that there could be a population. No, I don't think there was any implication at all. They could have just had a few civilian cars dotting the, the car park. But no, man, they, they, it's mm. totally barren. So it's it's like a hollow shell. It It's meant to look like a real town from perhaps a satellite from the, the scan from the sky yeah but it's really just a military staging area it's a barracks for cobra troops and their other particle beam weapon
the animation obviously is the real star of this cartoon. I think that the lighting, uh, the anime style, it works really well to convey emotion on the characters. So I mean, like, uh, not necessarily uh, the environment per se, but uh, definitely like when there's an explosion in the foreground or the background, and you're being lit from the front. It definitely gives intimacy to like the Dojo Island. I I'm sorry, the Rashikage Island. I felt that a lot of the environments, just because of the animation, looked a little vacant. But I mean, that's that's just a, as Paul or uh, Rob would say, a quibble, if you will. <laughs> oh, what did you think of it, Rob? Yeah, I appreciate that it was real-world locations because I mean, it's always nice to be sort of more grounded where you are, as opposed to Enterprise City, for example. <laughs> Hey, I liked Enterprise City. Yeah, I know. That was your favorite thing of uh, Pyramid of Darkness. I wanted all the buildings to, like, sprout arms and become giant robots. That would have been amazing. They, they lost they lost an opportunity there. There was quite a bit of redesign going into Resolute. Characters' looks were all tweaked, nuanced. They shared a lot of design elements with their original iterations, but then kind of... Fast-forwarded them, I suppose, 20 days into the future is the, the popular term to tack onto it. The idea being, let's make these guys not instantly dateable. Let's make them not super futuristic high-tech, but certainly like cutting-edge. This tech could be here tomorrow, it could be here six years from now, but it's definitely in this ballpark. And obviously, there was a string of new equipment, vehicles, technology unveiled in Resolute in what is a frighteningly short space of time. Let me firstly just run down a list of sweet vehicles and equipment that um, I took note of while watching it this afternoon. Uh, the glider jetpacks used by Scarlet and Duke to assault the Siberian Cobra compound, the, the particle beam compound. Snake Eyes makes use of a, a squirrel suit or, or sort of glider wing setup, which is very, very, very groovy. The G.I. Joe guns are not the XMLR laser rifles, uh, but they are definitely a unique design that has similarities to any number of sort of special forces assault rifles, but is definitely their own beast. And that goes for all of the weapons. Uh, roadblocks, massive machine gun, is not an M2 50 cal. Cobra's guns, the, the cool little bullpup design numbers, very sexy. Uh, nanite security, I mean, that was a flash in the pan, but it's what alerted Cobra to Duke and Scarlet's presence at the Siberian base. Uh, there was a cloud of nanites that attached themselves to the... The, the fibers of Duke's clothing and an alarm rings. It's, I mean, paying lip service to, to something that briefly, I mean, it, it, it's sublime. A spray that makes a fence dissolve. Stalker uses that in his assault on um, uh, the harp installation. Uh, high altitude balloons and obviously the stratolites that they used to access. And the grappling guns that uh, Tunnel Rat uses to zipline across to the stratolites. Very, very cool. The supersonic transports that the Joes get around the world in with its swept forward wing design. The defense swarm, or 
I like to call them trouble bubbles because they certainly evoke that in their kind of domed appearance with a giant cobra sigil stenciled onto the side using a combination of of uh, Gatling gun and rockets. The redesigned Hiss tanks that patrol the ground of Springfield. G.I. Joe has uh, a bevy of, of new choppers, a jet fighter that looks like a Raptor F-22. G.I. Joe seems to have what looks like a C-17 Globemaster transport plane, but uh, it's got a few design tweaks that, that, that differentiate it from the C-17. So, wow, okay, I think I think that's everything. Uh, I might have missed a few. I really like that supersonic uh, transport. If you think about how many times the uh, Phantom or the Sky Raven are used in video games or used to kind of convey this, like, oh, we can drop off troops with them, but you really can't. I kind of like that that has evolved into being a troop transport. I also like that they emphasize the fact that it it's really, really fast because for them to zip around half the you know the globe in that amount of time, in the 24 hours that they've got, they needed something to be very convincing. So that jet definitely ticks a lot of boxes in my G.I. Joe needs list of vehicles in terms of wish fulfillment. I'd say I like it conceptually, but yes. the design... I think visually... Oh, they... No. What are they going for? Like, <laughs> a pigeon in mid-flight. It does have that silhouette. It's got a beak. It's got forward-swept wings. And it's got this, like, dovetail kind of tail fin. Which is not a, a tail fin structure that I have ever seen before on a, a real world aircraft. So its silhouette is a bit fugly. And so is the uh, G.I. Joe helicopters. Weird. The Raptor-esque jets are fucking cool. The G.I. Joes themselves, their redesigns for me are a major win. Whereas the vehicles are half a win. Because... The idea, and you nailed it now, conceptually, the ideas are very likable, but the actual execution is sort of lackluster. They become very amorphous in terms of vehicles. There's very little character in them, which takes something away from, from G.I. Joe, because G.I. Joe's vehicles are very characteristic. They did go for the character on the Cobra vehicles, though. They did. Even down to the 788. Um, and... Hey, Cujo. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I saw it, man. Them his you. tanks. The community loves those his tanks and and has uh, has gone on 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 many occasions on on why Hasbro hasn't released them. I mean, when they did that V five uh, his tank that the the his tank so that close I really like so far. Yeah, you see, the thing is, a lot of guys complained because they had wished that the Resolute his tank would have somehow come out of the woodwork even after Resolute had sort of been done and dusted. I. I like it in the show. I don't miss it. It's not this hole in my collection, to be very honest with you guys. I don't think it's that great. I think it serves a cool purpose in the show. That's me as far as the vehicles go. I mean, like I said, it's half good and it's half bad. Let me expand upon that point, Paul. Um, Paul tags Cujo in. (laughs) Nice. It's dramatic. I definitely thought that this was the one weak spot on this uh, cartoon is that... uh, they didn't have the personality with the vehicles. Like, the weakest arc in it, um, we haven't even spoken upon it yet, but the Destro thing, like, to make G.I. Joe cool, you have to at least see the vehicles sitting outside, or you need something. We didn't see Destro or Baroness infiltrate the facility, 
So at least give us a taste of how it was done. Like, put a vehicle outside or some sort of, like, even if it's the Dig Dug transports that go <laughs> yeah, come from underground cool. or whatever. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Dig Dug. So, I mean, how did the theme tune go? It sounds amazing. It's like I, <laughs> I heard like it that. yesterday. <laughs> because it only played as you moved. Yes. Oh, man. That was brilliant. I thought that that, at least in that aspect or that arc, that was the weak point. Like, you saw some Cobra guys kind of patrolling outside, but give us give us something. What are these guys doing? Like, make these guys lethal, not just kind of, like, in a row staring at each other. Well, well now you see the biggest difference between, say, a, an advert for toys, which was what the 80s cartoons were, and a cartoon which is just essentially... It's got G.I. Joe characters in it. The cartoons always had tons of vehicles in them, no matter what. Every single episode, there were vehicles doing their shit, doing their things. That's how you got to places. You know, that's how it happened. The action was very vehicle-orientated a lot of the time. Well, in this, I mean, it's very much just down to the individual characters doing their things, things, you know, or you pairing them up. The vehicles are just a way of getting somewhere, essentially. You know, Mm. there's really vehicle action going on. But I put it to you, sir, that while the traditional character designs were adapted for Resolute so that all of them were instantly recognizable as, you know, remixes on the original's themes, they didn't do the same with all the vehicles. There was inconsistency across the board. Cobra got their icons updated. G.I. Joe did not. Why the hell am I staring at some characterless... Nouveau type helicopter rendered in CG when they could have done a sweet update on the Tomahawk and really just tickled my nostalgia bone. Like, I just, ah, man. But that's what I'm just saying is that, it's just that there's no focus on the vehicle. So, I mean, there was, there's no, okay, yeah, there, there's a slight, slight sort of like spotlight on, on the trouble bubbles and, and the hiss tanks that they were all out. But both being a strength and something that, that challenges the fandom, when you bring in a writer who has no real association with G.I. Joe, they don't understand that the vehicles are characters as well. No, I think that's yeah, true. That's, I mean, he's focused more that's, on, that's, on getting the action, you know, getting to the core of the action more than it is about what is doing the action, I think. I'm not so much going after the writing as I'm going after the design team. Ah, like the art direction. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I would never, like, credit or uh, discredit Warren Ellis for the design of the vehicles because, quite frankly, he's writing it and he writes tank. He doesn't give a shit about... Well, he knows what the tank looks like to him, but he knows that there's a production team, a bunch of designers, that, and a bunch of yes and no men who are going to sign off on these things, and he's only going to see it later. And that is the part of this pipeline that, that I have issue with, that I, I feel Steve has issue with as well. But we're going to hear it more from Steve anyway. <laughs> you can't stop Just me. Take it away. Look, it's clear that there was no limitation placed on the designers in terms of, like, can we make a toy out of this? Because we didn't get any Resolute vehicle toys. So the sky mm. was the limits. They could have taken the Phantom X-19 outline and made that into a supersonic transport jet. And would have made us mm. go over the moon to hollow out an X-19 and make it, a, you know, a cavity with a troop space. <laughs> I'd lose my mind. Instead, they went with this swept forward, like weird pigeon fucking SST. 
And then uh, what is the replacement for the Sky Strikers? Is that based off sort of... Well, as I say, it's it's got the same stealthy design as the the F-22 Raptor. Yeah, look, I mean, Resolute definitely took the the F-22 on board, made it a a carrier-based jet, and gave G.I. Joe a whole lot of them. So clearly G.I. Joe is getting all the budget, because, I mean, typically F-22s are very, very premium warbirds. So yeah, man, equipment, for the most part, winning. But I, I have bones to pick with the design of the G.I. Joe equipment. I mean, we saw Hummers and we saw G.I. Joe tanks. Why couldn't you make the Hummers look more vampish? Why couldn't you make the tanks look more Mauler or Mobatish? I mean, G.I. Joe is full of winning designs. Why reinvent the wheel? I don't know. That's just me, guys. I wasn't a fan of the, the Trouble Bubble replacements. I thought those were super generic. Kind of like uh, something you'd see in Macross. Or not Macross, yes. the, the third one, the third generation. Yeah, uh, Masquiator. Yeah, they had like, the yeah. Invid had like sort of pods that looked like, I don't know, like bugs. And for those of you anime hipsters out there that are like me, we're talking about Genesis Timer Masquiator, which was bullshitted into Robert. You sound Robert very, Earth. very bored with this concept, Paulie. No, no, not at all. I'm just, I just have to give the right amount of enthusiasm. To put across my hipster-like point about Mospiedo. Damn you, Robotech! <laughs> How can you collapse three different enemies, you fools? Or at least three. Oh, anyway, off topic. Wow. <laughs> Guys, let's talk a little bit about the reception of G.I. Joe Resolute. I mean, I take it between the four of us, we're all fans, right? Oh, very much so, from this side of the If country. you were to rate this show, each of us, gents, what would we give it out of five? I'll give it a four out of five. Easy. Okay. Rob? Wow. I... Not enough you guys are dropping new concepts on us. <laughs> I, I wanted to keep you as unprepared as possible, but just in really? the light of... of G.I. Joe lore or G.I. Joe stories that you're familiar with be it old comics new comics old cartoon uh-huh. series motion pictures where where does Resolute find itself in, in your internal rating system incredible I would I'd probably also go for a 4 I, I'm really impressed by this I mean at it's best it's, it's a 5 out of 5 but I would put it somewhere probably in the 4 area the gold standard is obviously the Marvel Comics run in the 90s, so I mean... That's your basis of comparison, that's cool, same with me. <laughs> well, I'm gonna <laughs> rip the roof off and give it a 5, Whoa. and say that this is more G.I. Joe for me than Marvel Comics. Incredible. Mm-hmm. So that gives us an average of 4.25 that, stars. The highest rated thing in G.I. Joeberg ever. G.I. <laughs> Joe Resolute repackaged G.I. Joe in a way so acceptable to me that it has supplanted Larry Harmer's Marvel Comics run as G.I. Joe canon. Resolute is the G.I. Joe that I want to play. Well, it it doesn't conflict with that, so, I mean, it could still work. I mean, it does. It absolutely does. I'm afraid, Cujo, I I can't agree with you there. Resolute completely conflicts with the Marvel comic run, and that's why, in my mind, it it has supplanted everything. Resolute is the G.I. Joe world that I want to play in. 
in my is brain. Is there a direct contradiction in plot lines? Between Resolutes and Marvel. Well, I don't know. I'm so out of touch with the Marvel comic. Storm Shadow's um, dead. <laughs> yeah, Storm Shadow's dead. And then also... oh, oh, hold the phone. Hold the phone, gents. What about the post-credit sequence? Mm. Post-credit sequence? Doesn't deal with Storm Shadow. Involuntary nervous reaction from the body. <laughs> Look, okay, okay. Well, let, it, let me let me let me cycle one point back from from the actual death. Just Storm Shadow's characterization in general, making him quite merciless. That's a departure from Marvel. Zartan having no involvement with the Dreadnoks is a departure from Marvel and Sunbow. Well, Snake Eyes' origin story is now completely linked into the Arshikage. Yeah. I mean, the um, way that he loses his voice. I mean, it happens in that moment. We've got no yeah. Vietnam War references. Um, Stalker has dreadlocks. I like that. Steven <sighs> hates that. Oh, Steven is... Oh, Steven's like against everyone tonight. I've blocked that from my memory. Puja, no, no, no. Actually, I'm going to drop a bomb on you all just now as well. Uh, because there's a reason I've given it 4 out of 5. Otherwise, I if it wasn't for this, I would also give it 5 out of 5. And it relates very much to this conversation we have. But now. generally, between us, we agree that, that this is a shining light in the sometimes very dark world of G.I. Joe. No, for sure. dark and loose of G.I. Joe crap that comes yeah, through. Yes, board. I agree. And the rest of the G.I. Joe fan community felt the same way. Overwhelmingly positive. But... There were five or so criticisms that I found rising to the top of the pile time after time after time. The first is that Resolute, for its brevity, spent a lot of time dealing with ninjas. Some fans felt that it was ninja heavy, which is a callback to some of the weaker moments of the Marvel Comics run, which became extremely obsessed with ninjas and ninja action. To which I just say, well, shit, I'm not a fan of the ninjas necessarily, but I thoroughly enjoyed it, and it didn't hurt my enjoyment of Resolute, so they must have done something right. Criticism number two was that the final showdown in Springfield was very rushed, dealt with within the span of one webisode. Well, those were the constraints we were working within, I don't know. Does anyone else want to address that? G.I. Joe is this amazing military task force, right? Uh, everybody in G.I. Joe is some kind of super amazing soldier, right? They go in and they kick, you know, badness in his balls. Yeah, they go went and did that, exactly that. They went in there, they kicked it in his balls, and they got out. They're professionals. They're the best of the best of the best uh, in the story. That's it. That's There's no prolonged engagement here. All okay, five really of them. <laughs> well, the thing is, there's a five of them that we focused on, but there was a lot of action that was going on around them. They were just a central part of that moment. Mm. You know, when they pull out, you see a lot more vehicles and stuff pull out. So, you know what I mean? Like, for me, that's just, that was enough. I, I was just like, okay, you know what? I did also, my first knee-jerk reaction was like, wow, that was a bit quick. And then I was like, no, actually, no, it wasn't that quick. For the last 24 hours in this world, G.I. Joe has been going up against Cobra, on three separate occasions, at least, um, that we focused on, and the final attack. No, no, this is this is done. This is enough. I don't think it needed to be prolonged. It's not a huge, epic battle. It's what G.I. Joe does. It's what any efficient military force does. It deals with the problem as quickly as possible. The third major criticism, uh, and this is, I suppose, just a whiny fanboy thing, but a very small roster of Joes actually doing anything. Uh, the rest are 
perhaps given a lip service at best or completely omitted at worst. Everyone's got their favorite Joe. I suppose if yours wasn't dealt with or even utilized in uh, G.I. Resolute, you might have had cause to be upset. But, you know, they can't keep everyone happy, but they certainly took a swipe at all the major players. Character-wise, as we look at, I mean, the previous miniseries that we've looked at, they always do focus on certain characters at certain times. And I think just mm. perhaps based on Ellis's research, I mean, these are the characters that came to the fore that you kept seeing as the central characters. And I think, I mean, you, yeah, as Stephen says, you always have someone complaining that, oh, my favorite character, you know, like, okay, yeah, Scoop was in it. I'm not fucking upset about that. Damn, That's man. That's kind of okay. You know, I, I know he's my favorite character. He's not necessarily everyone's favorite characters, but then people can complain about anyone else, like Low Light or Sci-Fi, etc. Uh, Scoop was probably one of the support staff guys. <clears throat> I'm sure he on was. On board there. the flag. Well, when you consider the dial turn, didn't have her have her um, traditional outfit in this, but still earned the name Dial Turn. I think Resolute, at its like most ambitious, was hoping to be a new GI Joe pilot for a new generation of GI Joe cartoon for the old generation of fans. I think that is what it would have liked to have been at its most successful. So we would have had those characters. We would have had spotlights on those favorite characters. But, you know, if guys really want their favorite characters represented, they can read something from the Marvel run or they can check out the Sunbow cartoon because both do a fairly good job of at least highlighting a character for a moment and giving them their time in the yeah, sun. Yeah, or highlighting them for quite a while. Matt and Junkyard. I yeah. Mean, for how many people is Matt and Junkyard your favorite? <laughs> really? Mutton no. Junkyard fans, raise your hands. It's okay if I'm a, I'm a Mutton Junkyard fan, but I'm not like, oh, they're my favorite characters ever. Well, on his card art, he's one of the few characters that's actually pointing a weapon at the viewer. That is special. He's <laughs> so you threatening go. you. You better like me. Or else. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> and Junkyard's no doubt about to take a swipe. <laughs> I mean... Time constraints, miniseries, I don't think either facet should really be sweated that hard. The characters, he picked characters, and I I believe I read something where he had written actually speaking lines for much more of the cast. Yes. But just time. Time Time and and money. money. Yeah, because paying so many voice actors would be... Yeah, it would be the 80s. I, I, bl- all over I believe again. the whole thing was done with like three people. Well, yeah, actually, so, I mean, it was so. it was done with four people. But I mean, I imagine that's another complaint by by fans is that variety of voices was very slight. Okay, so the, there were four voice actors in this. There was a guy named Charlie Adler who um, who's most well known for working on on okay. yeah, at, well, Cow and Chicken is his, probably his most yeah. well known thing. And also, he had originally voiced Lowlight in the original cartoons, and um, he did. Cobra Commander, Stalker, Flint, Gung-Ho, the Hard Master, and he played a cop. He really shined in that cop role, by the way. Definitely. <laughs> and that was my favorite part of the whole thing, when he did his cop bit. Um, NYPD Blue, amazing. <laughs> The second actor is Eric Bowser. Um, hopefully I didn't butcher that surname. And he's most well-known for... <laughs> I hope you did. <laughs> <laughs> he's Bowser. Most well... Eric Bowser. He's most well-known for Stimpy, from Ren and Stimpy. And he um, he played Storm Shadow, Destro, Tunnel Rat, and Cobra Soldier. Holy <laughs> shit, I can actually hear that now. You idiot! <laughs> <laughs> and then Stephen Blum is the, the third actor, and he's probably most well-known for doing, well, a lot of anime. And also he did Spike the... Spike Spiegel. Yes, Spike, Spike Spiegel from Cowboy Bebop. 
Oh, you right. did the English sort of, yeah, the, the English translation. Spiegel. <clears throat> yes. Steve Spiegel. Bloom is to anime voice acting what, what's his face? The Pope. What David Hater is to Snake's voice in Metal Gear. Uh, and then, uh, <clears throat> he's cool. I mean, Steve Bloom is somebody you will hear nine out of ten times in any given anime. You'll hear his voice as a support character, as a main character, or whatever. I was looking through, and if if you go to Wikipedia, you'll see he's been on dozens and dozens mm. of 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 anime, lots and lots of names. Some I recognize. I think he did yeah. a few from Naruto and from uh, from uh, some other series. But I mean, lots that I I didn't even recognize. But not that I'm a huge anime fan. But um, anyway, so Stephen Bloom and this did Duke Roadblock, Wild Bull, Ripcord, Zartan, Doc. He played an operator and a technician as well. And then the lone female actress or voice actress in this is Grey Delisle, who is probably most well known for doing Daphne in the more recent Scooby Doo films from about the 2000s onwards, as well as Azula hey. in Avatar: The Last Airbender. And she obviously did all the female voices, being Scarlet, Dartone, Baroness, and Covergirl. It's a very small cast of voices, and I can't imagine someone going, "Oh, do they all sound the same?" And it's just to do with the budgetary constraints of this thing. I mean, it, it's released to, mm. to the internet, and mm-hmm. it's it's essentially an hour long. I mean, there's only so much you can do. Well, Destro's VO is really strong in this. I mean, you, you can you can hear the Scottish. Well, to me, it kind of sounds like the guy's kind of trying to do yeah, a say. Sean Connery and, and kind yeah, of failing. I, I liked it. <clears throat> trying to hack Sean Connery is just perhaps... Too characteristic a voice, and it really like it's, it jars it, it varies, me. Man, though it stands out. I didn't like it at all. Well, it's I like... don't hate it. I mean, it, it it's very unique. I mean, and also he isn't constantly trying to go for Sean Connery. It's just sort of it's there's, there's a little yeah. bit of something behind it. Oh, it's just an oversimplification, arc... though. Like Connery's voice is not necessarily indicative no. of all Scots. That whole arc is tough to probably, I mean, do because basically Baroness and Destro are standing in one place for their entire arc. So I mean, like, there's no motion, there's no motion. It's it's probably a tough one to play. They say yeah. hardly yeah. anything as well. So was that one of the complaints? Um, was it was thing? indeed. Okay, as was the fact that Resolute had no hawk at the top of the command structure. That the buck did stop with Duke. An E-8 sergeant, enlisted man, is riding around on the flag calling well, the shots. Well, we don't know if Hawk was sitting in on that UN meeting in New York. He could have been one of those guys. Maybe he was you know, working out of the U.S. Embassy in Moscow. Uh, maybe <laughs> a general doesn't have to always be on the same floor as these operators, and maybe the chain of command allows E-8s and others to actually solve problems without having to have a general's intervention. Well, it seemed like the flag was certainly spacious enough. <laughs> it has an atrium in its heart. I mean, this is this is a Navy vessel, right? Which are typically cramped and every space is utilized. But no, in the middle of the flag, they've got this massive, like, office complex, like, designed to allow the light in so that the drones can... <laughs> type away on their computers and, 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 and not, not miss the sunlight. I mean, that was a, a weak little bit of design element as far as I'm concerned. G.I. Joe Specs, man. G.I. Joe Specs. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we've, we've, uh, we've noticed that our workforce is more motivated when they can see the sunlight. So we're going to design a massive atrium 
allowing massive amounts of light and make sure that everyone gets sufficient vitamin D. You're starting to understand American culture, my friend. <laughs> On an aircraft carrier, please. That's Google mentality, man. I wouldn't be That's how we do. Then we'll get a run in bicycles. <laughs> nice. <laughs> oh, dear God. Is there any G.I. Joe that rides on a skateboard? There isn't, is there? Thank what a missed opportunity. In, in Sigma 6, in Sigma 6, uh, Snake Eyes has a snowboard. Yeah, I don't huh? regard Sigma 6. Sigma 6 had one or two cool aspects, but this is not the conversation for that. Yes, the word Sigma is very cool by itself, and 6 is a nice number. <laughs> <laughs> Something must be said about the toys. I think it's time to break open that discussion. Oh, God. Here comes that kind of worms. And Cujo, you know what I'm going to say. Shit's going to get real, yo. Hey, good time. <laughs> the assortments uh, that fell under the Resolute banner spanned two years. 2009, the, the year that the shows came out. And then a year later, in 2010, we finally started getting a lot of key characters. But back in 09, we had uh, a single-carded Cobra Commander from Resolute in the same stylings. We had Duke. We had Roadblock and Gung-Ho released as Walmart specials. Uh, we had a Duke that came with his jetpack. And those were the sort of iconic uh, Resolute characters released in 2009. We had other things under the Resolute banner, like... Tunnel Rat, for some reason. Shock Blast, which is Shockwave, to those of us who know the old school figure. We had Destro in a flight suit. Things that were extraneous to Resolute, but just so happened to be under the Resolute banner. But in 2010, we really got into our stride and got the Alley Vipers, Baroness, Cobra Commander, Destro, Firefly, Storm Shadow, Zartan, Beachhead, Duke in his Siberian Assaults gear, Flint, Roadblock, Scarlet, Sergeant Stalker, and Snake Eyes, who was actually released on a Rise of Cobra G.I. Joe live-action movie card. card. Yeah, odd, oddity. But it was the Resolute style Snake Eyes. Yeah. I think he was released under the uh, moniker of City Strike Snake Eyes, I think. Correct. Yeah. But to us all, it was... Finally, finally, the resolute snake eyes that we always pine for. Ooh. Without the night vision goggles switched on. <laughs> yes, well, look, this podcast often compels me to purchase new toys. I mean, I'm no completionist by any stretch of the imagination. We had to have a debate about which would win in a battle, a Mobat or a His Tank, for me to actually want to go out and get myself a Mobat. And the same was true of the night attack helicopter uh, from 2002. My point is, oftentimes this podcast gets me in the itchy trigger eBay clicking mood. Also, I need to click my mouse uh, <laughs> often after doing these episodes. I own the City Strike Snake Eyes, okay, and I've always lamented the fact that he's basically in two tones, whereas the Resolute Snake Eyes uniform is just a solid gray with various detailed bits and bobs. The City Strike Snake Eyes version of that design puts him in black combat pants and a gray skin tight spandex or rubber torso. I like the uniformity of the gray on gray. And I also like the fact that the Resolute Snake Eyes that is included in the seven pack 
has a shorter sword and sheath. The City Strike Snake Eyes that I own has had a very long sword and sheath. And I've actually gone as far as to lop off the end of the sheath and cut the end of the sword to try and slim it down to be more cartoon accurate. So last night I just decided, oh, what the hell, let me buy the damn seven-pack Snake Eyes. Yeah. I caved. I did it. I did it. I also got the Duke that comes with that sexy flight pack. Oh, cool. Looking forward to receiving those in a couple of weeks. Which brings me back to a conversation you and I had once upon a time where (laughs) I was considering getting that seven-pack purely for that Duke and having red uh, Cobra Troopers would have been nice. And you were like... It was a five-pack, by the way. Yeah, five Resolute pack. five pack released in 2009 had that Duke with the wings, a red Cobra Commander, two red Cobra Troopers, and a battle android trooper in yes. black. As Steve's mentioned it a few times on the show, but I do tend to buy a lot of these guys, and I do tend to sometimes buy some of the same characters. But <laughs> Steve was like, "You're ridiculous, Paul. Like, why do you want to do that?" And the, he gave me quite a well. You know, he wasn't like mean about it. He just he likes to give me shit about it. So I never actually got round to getting that five pack because Steve's wisdom rang true, <laughs> at least then. <laughs> I'm surprised you're not climbing into me over the fact that this is the first time in over two years that I've purchased a modern era action figure. Oh no, I think that's great, and I don't want to say <laughs> anything. I don't want to ruin it. <laughs> yeah, I'm back, boys. Watch out, eBay. I'm coming for you. Yay, it's easier to buy you shit now. <laughs> the Cobra Commander design with that sword, him with a sword gives his character a completely different feel. Like, I almost got the impression, and I know this won't mean anything to you guys, but uh, we, we had a, a civil war over here once upon a time, and a lot of the South, the generals had like a, a gray aesthetic with, you know, a, a long sword. And it almost kind of gave me a feel of like a, you know, a, a Stonewall Jackson or something. Like a, a different, totally different vibe. The Germans in World War One also carried swords. Their commanders also carried swords like that. Oh, everyone carried swords. Come on, I'm sure. It's sexy. <laughs> My dad has a ceremonial sword growing out loud, you know, so it's a cool but, thing. But Cobra Commander's never been given, I mean, did, I guess he's had a staff at times, maybe? A scepter, yeah. Sure. Okay. Yeah, the sword definitely does add something different, something very regal about it. And the the sort of cloak draped about him. Yeah. I'm trying to place it. I I wouldn't necessarily say he looks like a Confederate general because didn't those guys wear funny-looking hats? (laughs) Well, Cobra Commander has a little bit of a get-up, too. I mean, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm thinking he he, he kind of, oh, man, I don't know. It's always the cape that throws me. The kind of the big oh, I love it. Cobra. Well, that, that's um, that's what a writer call it, isn't it? Like the writer says, put a sword in Cobra Commander's hand. I mean, he has to chop down a couple of his his uh, proxies. You he's know, got a, it's he's got a, like a tunic on with a little bit of a battle dress. Yeah, it's like a poncho and, and jack boots. Did Did you like Duke in the uh, the the kind of bomb disposal uh, armor? I really like you know what I'm Duke's look. Yes. Okay. It's probably one of my favorite figures and looks actually. Of Agreed. Is it, he looks like this and it looks so yeah real world, you know. But don't you think his head sculpt looks a tad soft compared to the very angular cartoon uh, rendering? Yeah, as, yeah, as opposed to the the cartoon 
Yeah, his face is 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 a bit soft. They changed his head sculpt for the Arctic version that comes in the seven pack. He's got a very sharp looking head sculpt. Yeah, that thing is great. But the softer Duke from the year before actually looks a lot like Channing Tatum. Mm. I see it. I see it. They probably were doing a lot of testing. The face of Duke to come. Do, yeah. do you guys have any issue with the fact that like they basically had one art design for Cobra Forces, but throughout the cartoon they're called different things like Oh No Alley Vipers, and there's like a little bit of an orange accent on on them. Did, did you have any issue with that? They didn't look very different at all. Although yeah, the Alley Vipers did have an RNG accent, and also like their masks were slightly different. But yeah, in the end, they, it did essentially all look the same, like with different colors. I mean, you, like he had the red dudes with him in, in the control room. Perhaps this is why Resolute sets the new baseline for G.I. Joe in my mind. That I love the fact that you have different Viper divisions, but they're all still basically in a blue scheme. Unless they're technical staff, unless they do something different. The Cobra Troop... Is always going to be blue, but within that you've got alley vipers, you've got techno vipers, you've got you know slight variations on a theme, but a uniformity that runs between all of them. That's something that you could never do in a toy line because you want to market colorful, different-looking toys. You don't want an entire shelf of toys that are purporting to be different characters, different functions, but all looking the same color and just variations on the same theme. But for my mind, like a Cobra Force that looks like it has some kind of synergy between it, that it has this blue theme and similar helmets and and similar doodads. I mean, it just that in, I love the, that. I love it so much. In the field, it makes sense. I, I, I felt like, and, and once again, animation costs, etc. They could have had an updated version of the Alley Viper inside the control room. I'm sorry, not the Alley Viper, like a Televiper mm. inside the control room. I love that there's a lot of uniformity both between Cobra and Joe. I really like that if you look at the majority of the Joes in this, in Resolute, you can see that there's a sort of a, a base template for all of their uniforms, but they do manage to squeeze in a bit of individuality in terms of their personality. It's very little. But it's spirit it's, cameo. Yeah, well... <laughs> It does push things like the facial expressions and the actual face sculpt across a lot more. What ends up happening is you've got this uniformity, uh, which is great because that's very militaristic. And then on Cobra's side of the fence, you've got the same thing. And I really actually like it. I know that I'm normally the first person to say that I love the crazy vipers and everything from the G.I. Joe line. And a lot of us do. But I'm glad that this show is kind of a departure from that and that we have more sort of I don't want to say generic, but more sort of toned down versions of that. Although in saying that, I don't like the Alley Viper design too much as a figurine. Uh, I don't think it's amazing, personally. But um, I do appreciate oh, It's got the Firefly sort of bomb jacket. They needed to flex okay. some of their urban camouflage for it to work, in all fairness. I like it. And then, uh, <clears throat> he's cool. I just think in, in Resolute, they would have been able to pull it off. The thing that Steven hates about Alley Vipers and people's perception of Alley Vipers, but they could have pulled off the, the full face mask for the Alley Vipers in this. That's something I would have liked to have seen in the design, but it's really it's not the end of the world because no. how they've done everything as a whole is fantastic. And 
And when you guys start talking about the individual characters, the Fireflies, the Zartans, the Destros, etc., I really want to pipe in with some stuff there because I really love that Destro design and the Cobra Commander. Well, crank it up, man. We're not going to do a blow-by-blow. I think that... No blow-by-blow? Even though the... (laughs) What, for each figure? I'm playing around, brother. Pick out out your favorite and we'll blow it. (laughs) I'm going to take a lot of my my focus uh, on Cobra here, but... I know that Cobra Commander and Destro as figurines from the Resolute line aren't necessarily the easiest to play with, to pose, to to actually use, to play with, to have fun with. But there's an aesthetic to them that I think is so awesome. They are, they both seem very kind of intimidating. They're actually quite scary. The lines, the sharpness used on uh, Cobra Commander's uh, uniform, for example, is fantastic. It really does say like, hey, listen, this guy is nasty. Uh, I love it. I think it's it translates so well visually. Uh, Destro looks big. I love that he has that giant coat. It definitely takes a lot of a bit of his pimp status away, but gives him something different. The Resolute figure having that cybernetic arm is really amazing. Do you think that that was something that wound up on the cutting room floor? It did. Um, it's it's and it's actually something that's kind of cool. Uh, I follow um, Joe a day. By Rob Buzan. He does this really cool little bite-sized article on a G.I. Joe he pulls out from his collection and he tells us a backstory. And he's recently been pulling out some of the Resolute stuff and very recently pulled out Destro. And in there he mentions that some of the concept art for Destro would have had him in the show with that cybernetic arm or would have had him with like some kind of cybernetic portion to him and that it didn't uh, go through into the final but for my imagination's sake, if Resolute, like I said earlier, had met its uh, wild ambitions, we could have seen a Destro survive, but come out half cybernetic in future Resolute's iterations. Uh, and I'm so glad that they included that in this figurine, because it's sexy and it's unusual, and it's something that only Major Blood has really had, and Mercer and Robo Joe, I suppose. <laughs> Another great uh, design is Zartan. How sexy Sick is Zartan and Resolute? I love it. There's only one thing sexier, and that's his rifle. Yes. The same can be said for all of the weapon redesigns, and the fact that they are so lovingly translated into newly tooled weapons in the toy line. By the time Resolute toys started reaching us, we had seen a lot of reuses of the same tired old guns. It's like... When G.I. Joe used to be a case where the accessories were equally part of a reason why you buy an action figure because of their uniqueness, all of a sudden we were getting figures that were Frankenstein Joes packed with weapons that came from dozen other uh, action figures. So the uniqueness was lost. Flash forward to Resolute, and all of a sudden you've got their entire arsenal from the cartoon series of unique weapons lovingly reproduced. I think it set them apart and put them on a bit of a gold standard, very seldom repeated. Yeah, true. Uh, so yeah, I, I like that sniper rifle. But that <laughs> sniper rifle is damn sexy. And it, uh, Destro's and... gun as well. The G.I. Joe standard machine gun is beautiful. Bullpup, Cobra, Cobra gun. Cobra Commander's dagger. That little mm. snakehead dagger is so cool. Um, beautiful gold paint. I thought it was a tuning fork from Phantasm. <laughs> yeah, good call, bro. That's the second time we've referenced Phantasm in G.I. Joe Berg, although this is the first time we're making people aware of it. 
I really don't like the Firefly figure. Like, I really dislike it. I, I don't know why. I don't know what it is about the design that puts me off him uh, as a figurine. I just think he's very dead as a design. He's, he seems very, like, sort of afterthought for a character that required a little bit more attention and love. He's got a little bit of uh, part reuse in that um, he shares the same backpack as the 25th Firefly, um, which is a little bit sad. Um, and then if we yeah, but jump... his, in his appearance, he doesn't even wear a backpack, so... Yeah. What kind of backpack would you have given him in its stead? Well, you see, that's the whole thing. He just seems underdesigned and to his detriment. There's very little thought in him and it comes across in the figure. I think uh, General Joe disagrees with me. I think Justin Bell is quite over the moon with that Firefly. Figure. Yeah, I fear I'm, I'm actually just paraphrasing Justin Bell's uh, gushery over that Firefly. But having a nice sheath at the small of his back is a nice touch. It is a very nice touch, and um, it is a good design. I think they reused that web gear for later Joe releases as well, and I must say it's welcome there too. Yeah, I mean, the sum of his parts isn't that great, but the parts by themselves have something. Even his head sculpt would be better suited for somebody else. I just can't think who right now. Oh, it was reused plenty. Uh, <laughs> Rise of Cobra Flash, for instance. But there it works. Because I've actually seen that, and it didn't jump out at me as uh, Resolute Firefly's head, you know what I mean? If we jump over the fence now, we go to the G.I. Joe pack. We've got a a serious similarity in the body sculpts. I know some people have criticized this because they kind of see it as laziness. For me, I'm like, I don't see it as laziness. I think the biggest disadvantage across the entire Resolute line are the hands a little bit. They're not the best. Uh, A lot of them lack trigger fingers, so they look kind of funny when they hold guns. And the ladies have... Very weird head sculpts. I don't want to say that they're ugly. I was looking at them earlier this evening uh, to see if there's anything I could, you know, critique on them. I'd say the biggest problem is, is that they're a little bit big for women's heads. And they just don't evoke an aesthetic, at least in the, the face, that I like. I don't really like them very much. And I don't think that they're very good representations of the animated form. Although from the neck down, loving. I love Scarlet's body for that figurine. I like the Baroness, even though it's a bit of retooling. Baroness's gear is quite fun. The biggest, biggest problem with this line, I'm sure Stephen will agree with me and all of you guys will agree with me, is the molded holsters that have the guns in them already. That's just a bit of a, a cuck one for this line. But otherwise, I've got a lot of love for it. I think they're fantastic toys. I often pull out the flint. I, I often see this flint as my go-to flint for the most part. Second that. Can you run that last detail by me? You said the guns are molded inside the holsters on the figure? A lot of the figures have either a leg holster that's got a gun in already, so it's kind of a pre-molded holster. And then in the box, they give you a handful. I literally mean a human handful of those. Uh, I think they're meant to be 45 cals or 50 cal uh, handguns. Sure. And, uh, you can't put them anywhere aside from the Joe's hands, and the Joe's already have assault rifles. So you're going for some kind of really awkward dual-wielding action, which is awkward. Hey, Scarlet did plenty of that in the Siberian Assault. Yeah. Hey. hey. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a pity you can't holster the guns. I mean, that's a definite knock. Yeah. But otherwise, they're, they're fantastic. They're great. And I think as far as cost-cutting cu- uh, measures go, I think this is a, a very positive way in which cost-cutting can affect us as, as consumers because... You know, you've got the standardized bodies for the for the Joes at least, and we're getting these really fantastic characters with awesome head sculpts. I think we won. Uh, I think we won. I think Hasbro won. I can't understand why Resolute's never carried on. 
I'll tell you why. Rise of Cobra. Oh, fuck yeah, that's shit. Sorry, man. <laughs> make way, make way for the Tatum. Rob, do any of these characters really assert themselves from existing iterations for you? As as toys? Yeah. I think probably my favorite is Duke. I, I really like his version as, as a resolute figure. I think he looks really, really awesome and kind of real-worldy. Like, I quite enjoy that. And the Snake Eyes is quite a cool version of, of the character. And I think Stephen would probably agree that, like, the the roadblock from this line is probably the definitive modern era roadblock version. Mm. You're preempting me, man. I am. Ho, 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 ho. That's actually, I didn't want to go there either. <laughs> I would love to own more of these figures. Unfortunately, I, I only own two. But I never sort of had a chance to look at them. And now that I'm kind of sitting here looking at pictures of the female figures, at least, what Paul said, I think, is very accurate. Their heads are huge. Sadly, it does detract. It does detract from the figure. And I wish you could have a quick fix by slapping on a 25th anniversary scarlet head on the Resolute body. But I tried it, and it doesn't work. Mm. No dice. Boo, hoo, hoo. That's upsetting. Is anybody holding the Destro figure in their hand? I'm not, because it's at the very back of my display case. Is he wearing knee pads? I'm curious. Oh, crap. Oh, uh, you gotta do it, Paul. Reach you have in to there. get him out. Gotta look up the trench coat. Please give me five minutes. Not even five minutes. Give me two minutes. Let me go and get him out there quickly. That'll give me an opportunity to make some kind of banal statement. No, I mean, I'm looking at these two seven-packs. That came out a full year after Resolute. I mean, man, oh man, if you had been in the trenches with me back in 2009... You would have been like biting your nails. Obviously, that's a that's a snafu. You, you got to strike while the iron's hot. But absolutely, what a bizarre choice from Hasbro. Well, well, don't get me started on Tron Uprising. I, I can go it for was hours. A massive misstep. They needed to make this, a, you know, a huge mobilization because this was the source material that demanded it. We wanted this stuff. I did not want Accelerator Suit Duke. G.I. Joe Resolute and Tron Uprising suffer from the same fate, and that is they both have an older fan base, and they were both put on roughly at midnight. Uh, if you're employed but you're a fan, you're probably going to miss it. You may even miss the hype. So uh, a lot of the true fans didn't even find Resolute till after the fact. But, well, it's cool, but everybody has knee pads, which that's a, that's a nice touch. I feel like that's a military input there. Except Zartan and Storm Shadow, and possibly Destro. So you know those guys don't hit their knees that often. Uh, that's comforting as well. They're not on no their knees. No serpent died for me to get this. Hold on. He does <laughs> not have knee pads, no. Oh. He, so, so those knows. guys are alphas. They're good. Yeah, um, they're standing. Everyone else is on their knees for them. Yeah, they send us, dudes. <laughs> <laughs> I agree with Paul on the lack of uh, really attention and nuance to the uh, Firefly character. I mean, Firefly is one of my favorites, so... And you like Boba Fett. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, but the brown and the gray just don't work together for me. That's too much ugly. Yeah. He looks like a turd. I don't like it. <laughs> gray turd. <laughs> yes. He has a nice shot, though, into the UN building, though. You got to give him that. Sorry, now that you've got me to go and fetch Destro, I'm screwing <laughs> over this toy again because he actually has, and I've, this is, I forgot about listeners as well, is he's actually got holsters, and you can put little guns in the holsters. And he he's like he's big into dual wielding, he's great. He's got well he's got the the third reach around arm as well, right? 
Is, does that go on his backpack or is that go-go gadget? That's in the front pack. <laughs> and he's a thought is just all. amazing. I don't like the fact that Destro has a metal arm. I mean, I feel like they're cheating Major Blood of his, his coolness. Well, I cheated him of his life up front. <laughs> uh-huh. It's an optional accessory, which is kind of cool, huh? which I like. It's an optional thing. It's not... If you don't like it, if you're like Cujo and you, you hate new, fun, and awesome things, um, <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to have it. You could have uh, played that straight. It would work great. If you like <laughs> me, we could be having it. You know? In Africa, we could be having it. I-, I wonder how Baroness feels about the touch of Cold Steel. Hey, listen, I don't think she complains about the vibrate function. And she's like, <laughs> oh, just throw me off. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <God>. <laughs> <laughs> We're never going to leave that alone. <laughs> oh, brah. Kujo, uh, something yeah. that I'm dying to know now, uh, I can't believe we didn't cover it earlier. We know that Rob and I were kind of on board early on with Resolutes. We know that Paul found it later on when he got back into G.I. Joe, probably after 2010. When did you experience this show? I, I didn't find it in real time. But I am pretty savvy when it comes to Adult Swim and catching shows. I mean, that's how I got introduced to Garth Marenghi's Dark Place, which I love. But uh, to put it on on Adult Swim, I think that's a good move. I just don't think that they hyped it right. I mean, nobody knew it was on. At least that's the impression I was under. It came out of nowhere, man. Like, unless you were a G.I. Joe fan over at the boards of HisTank.com, pfft. What did you know, man? I agree with that because I was working in Anime Works at that time still. And, uh, you know, like, if you're working in a shop that sells anime, you have to really be on top of your shit. And we were also dealing with retro cartoons and, and all of that stuff. And that stuff was starting to reemerge again, uh, again in popularity. So G.I. Joe was part of that, that wave. I mean, I was nose deep in the internet with that kind of stuff. And I was... Although not actively buying G.I. Joe figures, I mean, I'd always loved G.I. Joe. I mean, I've had an account on his tank for a very long time, you know, that kind of thing. So, I mean, it should have popped up on my radar, and it didn't. Somehow it just snuck through like snake eyes on an infiltration mission. It was madness. Zing! If you're like Paul and you have your nose all up in the internet 24-7, it seems like G.I. Joe is in kind of a a pickle on how to promote itself right now. Or, or, Or ever, really. Since the 80s. Honestly, I'm just noticing. Uh, I know we're away from the figures now. Did you notice a uh, roadblock has a pickaxe? Is that roadblock? Yep. That's pretty impressive. I mean, it's random. It is very Super random. Man. And one of the other pack-ins that he comes with, apart from his large machine gun and ammo belt, is like a random mortar. Like I'm not <laughs> talking about a launcher. I'm talking about the actual projectile. Yeah. Either a mortar or a rocket. There's a theory that, once again, just like Destro's cybernetic arm, that there is material that got dropped uh, yeah. that, that involved him using a pickaxe. I don't know. Maybe he burrowed into the Cobra Hop <laughs> uh, complex or uh, well, made, I, gonna, made some kind of improvised <laughs> explosive device with the mortar. I'm going to assume that Destro like politely knocked on that one research center's door, and then they're like, nope. They locked it, and then he just used his steel hand to rip the door hand off. That's that's the scene that got removed.
guys, I think it's come down to uh, our highs and lows section. Mm-hmm. Where we each give a rundown of our top three things that Resolute gave us. And our bottom three things that Resolute gave us. And I think I'm actually going to start the ball off with the the high points, incidentally. Because we are just really praise heavy on, on this show. I yeah. think we can um, we can deal with those nice and quick and then, then get around to actually like slating it a bit. Because I think that'll be kind of refreshing. And I think I'll climb in first, if you Yay. guys don't mind. Do it. Do it. My second favorite moment in the animated show is Snake Eyes' approach on the Ninja Dojo Island. Oh, man. Skimming at wave top level in the squirrel suits, gaining a little bit of altitude, and then shredding that suit off to run at high speed at a cobra troop and slash him to ribbons. It's just, like, it's sublime. Well, let me let me it's ask you... A, beautiful staging. Let me yeah. ask you a subconscious question. If you had to pick a video game from the original Nintendo system, that that part where he rips off his squirrel suit and settles onto the dock sprinting, what video game did that call your mind back to? Oh, surely there was a. And I mean, I'm I'm not that much of a gamer, but wasn't wasn't there there an NES uh, where your character arrives on like a glider, and like the glider kind of falls away? Strider has you riding on a glider. That's the one. Yes, yeah, Strider. That was a, a a Super Nintendo title, wasn't it? Yeah. Nobody played Ninja Gaiden on the I've heard of it, but I haven't played it. Paul okay. played Ninja. Well, then just edit that Gaiden. whole interruption out. Yeah. <laughs> no, well, Paul no, played he, plenty he of Ninja Gaiden. Running, but that, that's all. That's all. In fact, I've used Ninja Gaiden uh, music on this show before. Mm. Incredible. Yeah. And Paul's quite into the Gaiden stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yes, the Gaiden stuff. <laughs> No, it's Ninja Gaiden. No, it's Ninja, it's Ninja Gaiden. Actually, yeah, you're into the guide. I had some idiot correct me when I was all of like 13 years old in a game shop when I recommended Ninja uh, Gaiden to him and he was like, Gaiden. I was like, fuck off. <laughs> Get it right, North America. You, you, you snapped his neck. Uh, Ninja Gaiden, Cujo. Yeah, my bad. You know I'm a, a wordsmith. Please continue. Gaiden. Um... <laughs> My second highlight or, or favorite thing that Resolute has, has given to me personally uh, is not uh, part of the animated show, but rather a toy. Uh, my ultimate roadblock action figure is the Resolute roadblock. I don't think it has been surpassed since. Uh, it certainly hadn't been surpassed before. This is the definitive roadblock. Everything about him is perfection his imposing size his physique the fact that his uh his web gear or his tactical vest which is a fantastic piece very detailed has a wash on it uh it allows for a backpack the fact that it's removable and you've got this incredible like base torso makes it a great custom figure as well but in its roadblock use it is perfection it's the the use that it was always meant for and as I say, it just makes for the definitive Roadblock. Uh, I I never had much love for Roadblock as a character until I watched this cartoon and got this action figure. So thank you, Resolute. And my number one highlight, 
the way the Arashikage is presented to us in this is awesome. As I said before, the scripting between the Hardmaster and Storm Shadow is brilliant. But it all culminates in the most kick-ass ninja fight choreography I have ever watched in an animated format. From the sound design, you know, the blades clashing, the the bone-breaking sound effects, the, the blows, the drama, the stakes, the fact that it all unfolds very quickly and in real time. You know, it's not this epic battle that, like, swords are clashing for 20 minutes. Mm. Because sword fights don't happen like that. Mm-hmm. It's over in a matter of seconds. Mm-hmm. And you feel that pace. It's just a masterfully staged and executed scene. If you still hate on ninjas after seeing that, then uh, there's no hope for you. Like, G.I. Joe is, is, is not your cup of tea. You need to find... <laughs> Find something else to, to get hyped about because, yeah, man, Snake Eyes versus Storm Shadow in G.I. Joe Resolute is the shit. Well, you'll be happy to know that the director of this cartoon has a nickname of Dr. Fight because of the way he sequences animated fights. Yes. Uh, Joaquim Dos Santos is the director and he's known for directing Justice League Unlimited, Avatar The Last Airbender, and uh, The Legend of Korra, which all involve lots of sort of hand-to-hand combat, I think. Yeah. Well, Joaquim's involvement is reason enough to seek out those animated... Dude, do yourself a favor, watch all of those. They are amazing. And I'm not even a big Justice League fan. Yeah, Paul hates the Justice League. Says something about that man's body of work. All right, Paul, what are your top three? My top three, I'm going to do it from the in the same uh, order as you did. My third favorite is Duke's characterization. I really felt that Duke's characterization had taken him away from being the Boy Scout that he was from Sunbow, and it elevated him to something that is a lot easier to get uh, into as a character, made him more tangible, and got me as a non-Duke fan to become a Duke fan. So kudos to the show on doing that one. My second favorite thing is all of the infiltration stuff in Resolute. I thought all of the infiltration stuff was handled very well. I really love that there's a bit of forethought. Uh, Flint mentions that Cobra has been able to sort of entrench themselves in that facility and that they probably most likely have a lot of anti-infiltration set up going on there. So getting in there is going to be really tough. I really like that there was a bit of forethought. It wasn't just like, okay, go in there, guns blazing. I thought that was great. And this also carries on again with Snake Eyes. Stephen mentioned it uh, before, so I'm not going to reiterate, but amazing scene. And uh, also loved uh, Roadblock and Stalker and the and the gang getting into the hot facility. I, I enjoyed that. It made the made it a little bit more lighthearted, and uh, gave us a characterization on on those guys that uh, wasn't sort of cartoonish and hokey, and was really refreshing. And uh, my absolute favorite thing of Resolute is the redesigns of the characters. I really, really love the redesigns of the characters. I think they gave us something very special. Uh, they gave me what I still regard as my favorite design of Destro and one of my top favorite designs of Zartan. And I've got to thank them for that because I don't think we would have seen these kind of designs had it not been for the Resolute series. So thank you very much, Resolute, for them. Whoa, yeah. I, I didn't rank them, so my top three things, yeah. Infiltration by Snake Eyes onto the Arishikage Island. Duke Snap. 
Doo, why? Awesome, hey, that means it must be the best thing in the whole thing. Duke and Scarlet's infiltration of the Siberian base and Snake Eyes versus Storm Shadow. And of course, yeah, as we mentioned earlier, that that's all. I mean, really, that's that's uh, to do with Doctor Fight and his ability to choreograph amazing sequences. Thank you to the director. I mean, well chosen. I think for my uh, good points, I'm gonna stick to the storytelling. I suppose since that's uh, one one thing that we really enjoyed. There's a lot of grenade uh, traps, booby traps, which. You don't really see G.I. Joe as a cartoon use people's grenades that much, which is a shame, really, because grenades are fun to watch. Um, And lose. (laughs) Indeed. So, I mean, like, uh, there's a moment where Snake Eyes has made a kind of a booby trap with a Cobra officer hanging in the trees, and two officers investigate and they get blown up, and a third officer is kind of like, the concussion blast knocks him on his, his butt for a second. When he recovers, he sees the silhouette of Snake Eyes, you know, with the backdrop of the explosion. And to me, this is the strongest moment in the cartoon, because you see the strength of Snake Eyes, but you also see the resolve of a Cobra officer who realizes he's seconds from death. He takes a breath in, and then he just he starts firing as, as quickly as he can. For some reason, that moment, like I said, my, my favorite moment. Um, but yeah, that, that inhale was definitely nice. The grenades were nice. That's my second thing. Third point, I'm going to go with two. If, so, if a third one hits me, I'll, I'll drop it later. I'm impressed you pulled that on the fly, man. Because... Well, that one scene's been on my mind. Just because, like, uh, that's the, one of the problems with a lot of portrayal of villains, quote-unquote, is you never really see their humanity, or you never see their moment of kind of just, like, realizing this is it. Mm, especially not when it's a, a blue-shirt cobra lackey. Right. Mm. That was a nice mm. bit of writing. Oh, yeah. Oh, the, I got a third thing. You do? The lighting. <laughs> The lighting is incredible in this, and, and the color palettes from scene to scene. Because, like, obviously, the night Snake Eyes infiltration, I mean, it's a lot of oranges and a lot of deep blues. And I, I just love that kind of contrast. So, the animation was tight. <laughs> so, all of your favorite things basically pertain to one scene? Uh, Well, I mean, some of the environments <laughs> didn't hit. Like you said, they the can scene... all be exemplified in that one scene. The city didn't work real well. There's a scene where Scarlet has just been pulled up into the belly of that plane. Uh, The extraction, her and Duke's extraction. And she says a line, I don't remember what it is, but once again, the contrast. She's completely lit in orange, and the back of the plane is all that cool blue. So there's a couple instances where they do really nice anime-type effects. All right. Now comes the really hard part, pulling some criticisms of our own out of Resolute. And I'm going to crack the ice open first once again because this is this is not easy for me. As I say, I do worship the ground that this uh, hallowed uh, animated short uh, walks upon. But I guess I, I really disliked the Baroness and Destro. Snap. Short, shorthand, man. Like, just throw these established lovers together. They were certainly portrayed as sadistic and evil, but the dialogue was just clunky at times. Like, oh, you could decide which one you want to kill first, Baroness. I wouldn't want to deprive you of some pleasure. Like, <laughs> oh, dear, really, really... It just, uh, it kind of dropped the ball in terms of the serious regard that I would hold for the rest of the characters. 
like Zartan was a fucking lunatic psychopath. Storm Shadow, similarly, like definitely some sociopathic tendencies there. Destin the Baroness was just smug and smarmy and very dull, unfortunately. And the scripting didn't really help them out much. Uh, similarly, Cobra Cabanda using turns of phrase like "got you like a fish" and "I'm sick of dealing with all your crap." Uh, like really, but ham-fisted. He cheapens his stature a bit. Mm. A really super intelligent leader. I don't think he'd stoop to use language like that, to be honest. He'd be threatening and extremely highfalutin and not care. Uh, you know, I, I, I don't care if you're not keeping up with me. I'm just going to talk some serious shit to you. And uh, any uh, lower life forms just better leave the room. So, yeah, kind of talking him down like that really hurt him in my eyes. Um, I've mentioned this before, but my middle criticism is the designs of the supersonic transport that the Joes use and their transport helicopter. Why couldn't you just use the silhouettes of the Phantom X-19s and the silhouettes of the Tomahawks? You could... You know, festoon them any number of ways, uh, make the design your own. But, like, if you used a recognizable shape, I would have been far happier and you wouldn't have run the risk of having stupid fucking pigeon outline. Yeah. And my number one criticism of Resolute Duke and Scarlet's Gun Fu. Uh, that's how I'm going to record this point. As gunfu, they do some ridiculous. You've been sitting on that gem for hours, haven't you? Well, I can't say I coined the term. It's been around ever since the Matrix, and I suppose uh, uh, Equilibrium. Mm. But anyway, that kind of like schlocky gunplay is crap. I hate it. It's crap. You know, I just criticized Cobra Commander for using that word, but it's the most fitting that springs to mind. Uh, I hate it. it. Having your characters fly through the air, it works when they're, when they're engaged in a sword fight or martial arts, but when they're, when they're doing a sort of run and gun situation, it's distracting. I feel I, I need to look away. I need to avert my eyes so that it doesn't lower the high regard that I have for the action in this show. And the same goes for the fact that they've upgraded to real bullets and real ammunition, but still the Cobras have shitty aim. They're just, just drilling at the Joes and not hitting anything. I think Mr. Action, is that his name? Dr. Fight. Dr. Fight. Mr. Director of Resolute dropped the ball there. It's that kind of Japanimation shorthand for making like a flurry of action happen and like your heroes just are emerging unscathed. Well, be smarter about it and envision set pieces that, that allow the, the heroes to run from cover and return smart, deliberate, aimed fire, instead of this, like, enormous suspension of disbelief, they're standing in the middle of a bevy of Cobra troops, all firing fully automatic at them, and they are just gunning them down back-to-back with their pistols. It's stupid! (sighs) Rant over. Robbie? (laughs) Low points. Okay, once again, I haven't ranked them, but um, I also had a problem with that. So that's one of them. Steven's uh, ranty rant. 
But then I have the opposite problem with a, a sequence a little bit earlier where Duke and Scarlet are held up at the elevators by at the alley vipers where they, they're kind of like hiding behind the walls and they're doing what Steven is suggesting, you know, kind of popping out and shooting, but no one is hitting anything. While the, the alley vipers are kind of standing in the middle of the passageway shooting at the doors and nothing's happening until Duke throws a grenade, which is, you know, you get some cool grenade action, but it's like neither force is being effective in any way whatsoever, despite the fact that the alley vipers are standing in the open. But then I imagine it, I mean, okay, without the gung fu, it's essentially the same problem Stephen has with the later scene, where these guys are just standing in the middle of nowhere and they're not getting hit. It's just like, what is going on? Why can't you hit these guys? It's ridiculous. So that was my one problem. My second problem was the apparent bloodlust of roadblocks <laughs> when they're infiltrating the harp installation. Nice. You know, like Gung Ho is like firing off his grenades. He's distracting all the all the the cobra dudes. They're running towards Gung Ho. And then Roblox comes up behind them, and he's laughing his head off as he, like, mows these cobras down. I was like, <laughs> wow, I've never, ever seen the side of a soldier in any version of G.I.J. ever before. Well, but, I have a, a response to that, man. You should step onto the paintball field someday. If you manage to get <laughs> the jump on your opponents, and you actually ambush them, like, just feel the murderous glee that takes over your body at that point. To get the I, jump I, on your is... enemy and to riddle them from behind. <laughs> uh, I don't know, man. I, I think that's a very human response. I think Steven's just flexing his villainous side. Right <laughs> I don't know, man. Expletives that I didn't know existed came out of me the day that I had a, pay- <laughs> a paintball gun in my hand and managed to sneak up on the enemy and absolutely paste them well that's wonderful i can relate to that killing them but i mean here roblox is ripping them to shreds i mean those bullets from his gun must be quite large so he's shooting at them he's ripping them not even not just killing them but he's completely obliterating them and i think that's disgusting it's it's a very heightened dangerous situation it's like it's him or them He's got the jump on them. There is no danger of them hurting him. I don't think all. he's likely to say, hands up. He doesn't suffer the burden of violence. Yeah, he's not going to lend the seven steps to the sun. Yeah. <laughs> I am glad Rob brought up Gung-Ho, though, since we haven't talked about him. He was drawn really nicely, and I kind of got the impression that he was the most likely Joe to probably have a sexual harassment complaint filed against him. I, I think that's true, because, I mean, like... like you mind your favorite joke? Yes, we Exactly. It took him two seconds to hit on dial tone. Two seconds. <laughs> you know, you have all the answers, don't you? <laughs> I'm sure she was of consenting age. No, I'm sure she was, but I mean, you can still be sexually harassed. Was there ever a G.I. Joe HR character? <laughs> That'd probably be Psychot, I don't know. Oh, yeah, you're probably right. Nice. Or Doc. Or technically Spirit. Spirit has the natural remedies to solve everybody's problems. Yeah, Spirit's like, oh, I hear you guys have a problem with each other. Okay, well, it's fine. I'm just going to light this pipe up. We're just going to sit and talk about things. You want some of this? You want to get on this? Oh, okay. I got this really awesome tent. We can just sweat it out. <laughs> Mescaline, anybody? I, I love this subplot. Sorry, go ahead. Continue, Rob. <laughs> I just had to throw a monkey wrench in with gung-ho. No, that's awesome. Probably my third one. I mean, it's, it's not a big thing. I mean, it's nice that they kind of get some characterization. Because, I mean, in general, there doesn't seem to be much other than sort of like 
Storm Shadows, um, you know, you're, you're understanding that he's really evil. Um, the love triangle, I mean, I didn't feel like it was necessary, but I mean, in the end, I suppose it's, it's something to kind of give them sort of more, I don't know, a character. But in general, it just didn't feel like I, you didn't need it really to tell the story. I agree with you there, Rob, actually. I feel that the love story is kind of like it's put in there. If it wasn't there, it really wouldn't make much of a difference. I kind of understand why it's there and it didn't annoy me enough for me to go, oh God, this is so horrible. Like I love this whole thing, but that, but I know where you're coming from. Well, that's why I'm saying it's, it's a low, but it's not as low. I mean, like I really like in all of these are kind of like essentially they're nitpicks. Like I really don't have like proper problems with this thing. Yeah. Four out of five. Oh, okay. Who's next? Me. I'm ranking them from the third worst to the most worst. Uh, The dialogue quirks. (laughs) uh, Steve sort of touched on this. uh, Well, not touched on this. He actually went into quite a bit of detail. But there are some dialogue quirks that I really can't stand. These do come from Destro and the Baroness. For the most part, I I really hate Destro's. That's just bloody cheating. And his uh, sort of Sean Connery accent really irritates the shit out of me. I think the best line to come out of that whole sequence from those two is when Baroness says uh, shooting people, putting real people in danger, really seems to get some sympathy from these people. I thought that was probably the most sort of coherent line that comes out of them. But no, just, did she say um, putting innocent lives in danger always rattles these people? Yeah, I, I like that because that was kind of, you know, that's cool. But the dialogue quirks, that whole thing, I felt was actually very uncharacteristic of the two, considering that Destro and the Baroness tend to not be as sadistic as the rest of the Cobra Cadre. But then again, this is its own thing. Also, just on the Joe side, a few dialogue quirks as well. Tunnel Rat is a great character. I just find some of his characterization to be in line with uh, how he is in the movie, which doesn't bug me per se, but it is a negative point in the world of Resolute. You mean G.I. Joe the movie, the 1987 animated film? Yes, yeah. He's got his quirks, you know, I've been kicked out of tougher playgrounds than this. You know, like, I love it there because it suits the tone of that movie. But they brought that tunnel rat into Resolute with some of those quirks. I find them to be a little bit, just a little bit heavy-handed. We're nitpicking now, you know, so that's that's a, my third least favorite thing. Isn't tunnel rat Larry Hama's likeness character? Yes, he is. Yeah, I'm always curious if uh, writers flex him just to pay homage or respect it's possible. I think he's got some popularity on his own steam. Uh, they certainly worked him into Sigma-6 yeah. as the kind of bomb disposal go-to guy. And I think also it's a diversity call. Mm. Like, it's far easier to integrate him than a topless dude with throwing stars. So, like, Tunnel Rat, you're our go-to Asian dude. Yeah, actually, Steve brings out a cool point there. It's a nice way to characterize an Asian character without being sort of racist. These are two separate points, but I'm going to make them one point. I find that Resolute suffers from being a little bit too short, even though it's an 11-part webisode series. It only spans 50 minutes in its running time, which seems to be fairly average for most animated features. I just would have liked it to be have been longer. So that says something about the quality of the show, that I was really enjoying it. I do feel that it does suffer from... If you don't know anything about G.I. Joe, you've never watched the cartoon, you've never read the comic book, never played with the toys, it's a very, very hard sell. There's a lot of information and a lot of stuff that I think would leave a new viewer uh, lost in the water. 
Uh, they'd kind of be bobbing in the middle of the ocean of all of this stuff. They would enjoy the action, but I don't think they'd get into the characters and might find that some of the characters are pulled across as quite hokey or ham-fisted. Well, fuck them, dude. No, no, I... <laughs> You're I not a noob. That's an irrelevant criticism for you. No, no, it's not an irrelevant criti- criticism because we're nitpicking, so we had to find crit- criticism here. So I had to find something that I felt that, that it was lacking in. It has difficulty making itself appealing to a non-G.I. Joe fan in its formula. Now, I'm not saying that non-G.I. Joe fans don't enjoy this. I'm just saying in its formula, it doesn't cater well to the new viewer. However, anybody with even a little bit or a smidgen of G.I. Joe knowledge and and even the wrong G.I. Joe knowledge, like my girlfriend is a big fan or was a big fan of Sigma-6 because that was a G.I. Joe she was exposed to. And she felt that characters and circumstances in... um, Resolute were very relatable, and she really loved how the characters were sort of fleshed out and matured. So, like I said, the statement is a nitpicky criti- uh, criticism. I love this uh, series, so I had to find something that I didn't like about it or that I felt was wrong with it, and these were my things. So, I know where Steve's coming from, and a part of me agrees with Steve, but I have I have to push this. So, boo, boo, Close us out, man. What did you hear about Resolutes? <laughs> what was the end line? Duke says something about, like, uh, <laughs> the, he says something about uh, the bunker that Cobra Commander was in, in the last line of the show. Honor return to the site. Well, it says something like, sadly, the bunker was empty or something. Absent. Yeah, the bunker was uh, uh, found to be absent. Well, at first I thought this was written in... I thought this was anime at first, and I was like, that can't be the first line that, like, sadly, the bunker is absent. Or, you know, and you're just kind of like, really? That's what they ended on? So, I mean, like, the writing, structurally, the storytelling... Once again, I'll bring up the uh, Destro Baroness thing. You never see them be dangerous. If you're not familiar with the series, you may not know about the Love Triangle or, you know, him and Baroness. I didn't like that arc at all because I never saw any threat there. Uh, you need an establishing shot of Destro, like, blowing away a scientist hair and, yeah. like, dropping him on the ground or something. Like, uh, so I thought that the writing missed at times. Uh, aside from the gunplay, like Steven alluded to, that was just a clown job. I mean, when there's that explosion, that's a great time for a cutaway. Like, go to a different action sequence as soon as that thing explodes. Because you see her flipping out and you're like, wait a second, I have no context for this kind of move. So, I mean... It's like the, the boundaries of this reality have been set, and all of a sudden she's breaking the laws of gravity. And all I can think is maybe the writer wrote, the good guys are surrounded by bad guys, a battle ensues. Because, like, maybe if he's used to writing, uh, you know, Legend of Korra or something, everybody's got hand-to-hand, but when you've got people shooting in a circle around you, you're done. Like, if there's no cover, you're done. Like, in fact, so are the guys on the other side. Exactly. Like, Unless if, you're snake whisking, you've got and then machine you're guns and you're formed a circle, uh, you don't actually want to start opening fire because you're just going to pot hey. the guys, your own guys on the opposite side. I think you need to watch Escape from L.A. at the end. But, <laughs> yes. But I, yeah, the gun oh, was sloppy. Oh. Yeah, I'll leave it at that. That's all I got. Well, I mean, you, you touched on interesting um, Easter eggy. I don't know if it's a new Easter egg. I mean, but on on that last little speech thing, I think Stephen pointed it out to me. The text says honor, as in you know the the concept of honor, having honor. H O N O R. If you're uh, from uh, from the United America. States, 
Yeah. But the, what he's saying is on our return. On our return to the site, yeah. But and he says whoever so wrote up the text says on a return on to a the return. site. On a return. So, but if you say it, it sounds like he's saying on our on a return. I mean, it's like, come on, guys, did you not pick this up? Maybe in the DVD, I don't know. It's fixed. Well, it, I mean, this is what the the GI Joe brand is missing: some real fans writing material. They keep bringing in these interlopers that are good writers, etc. Star Wars has a story group now. I want to say Marvel has a story group. And, and you could definitely criticize that. Right now, if you need to breathe life into the G.I. Joe brand, you have to get fans involved. I mean, and, and my last criticism is uh, Zartan's reveal. Uh, you, you have kind of an electronic camouflage, and then he appears. And, and like the characters are like Zartan, and and I guess there's some respect because they don't start firing, they start backing away as he raises that hand cannon. I really think that a lot of the characters get to show off a little bit of their strength, not all of them, but instead of like sliding down that damaged catwalk, he should have just appeared downstairs, like you know, go from invisible to visible, like right next to Scarlet. That would have been a much more powerful effect. Mm-hmm. I agree. Anyway. That's I'm kind of glad they didn't preempt that because uh, someone else got to have that idea uh, in Phantom Pain. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Spoil. Oh, really? Oh, guys, if you haven't played it, play it. Play it. Do it now. When I, when I, when I get some gaming time, definitely. <laughs> Does anyone have any uh, closing remarks on G.I. Joe Resolute? I think we've had a pretty exhaustive discussion of this remarkable... What? Oh, Are you going to two-part this podcast? Perhaps. One Perhaps. thing I will say, um, and it's something I've been sitting on uh, about this uh, film, and I was wondering if any of you guys would like touch in on it, but you haven't, and that's not a bad thing. I, although I lament the fact that there's no more, that we don't have any more resolute, um, and that we don't have anything like this on the cards going forward for GI Joe. At the same time, I'm also kind of happy that we don't, um, because one of the biggest issues, and I actually should have mentioned this earlier, and I actually totally forgot, even though I wrote it down in my notes, um, G.I. Joe Resolute is very difficult to carry on from, um, story-wise, I feel, uh, just because a lot of the really serious beats have been hit with it, um, and you're going to end up repeating some of the same gags in terms of world domination plots, etc. But... Um, I actually think what what's what what is important about Resolute generally was that it was a nod to fans. It was saying, "Hey, you know what? We know you guys have grown up now. We know what kind of thing you what you appreciate in in the, your source material. We actually do take this GI Joe thing very seriously, guys, and we really do respect these characters. And we we do understand that they're more than Saturday morning cartoon characters now, and they're not just toys for kids. And that's kind of what Resolute said to me." And then I remembered that Hasbro completely double-backed on that. But it was nice when I was watching Resolute. I had that illusion that, okay, cool, we were actually being acknowledged as adults and as fans of G.I. Joe. We, it wasn't trying to pander to the sort of new generation, these new kids. Hasbro wasn't trying to be immature again. It was nice. It was a nice feeling. Um, and that's something that I got from Resolute. I don't know if you guys feel that way or feel that it was kind of a, a love letter to the fans in that regard. But, uh, yeah, for me, I, I'm thankful for that, at least. 
And if we don't get anything else, it's fine because we got this and it was really great. Anyone else want to have a closing remark? Uh, well, I mean, I'll say something that's probably not even worth uh, keeping in the podcast. But, like, I mean, this is just one more example of why companies like Hasbro and – because, I mean, I know this podcast is in Hasbro's ears as well as the Collector's Club and all that. I mean, they love you guys, right? Um, but I don't think that they understand what advertising is now. And I really think that whether you're talking about Tron Uprising or G.I. Joe Resolute, they don't know how to reach the fans that would actually project, like uh, propel this into a regular series. Like, mm-hmm. they don't know how to do hype. They don't know what they're doing. And it, it annoys me because you see this time after time. Somebody will do something original and unique, and you're like, this is exactly what I've been waiting for. But it doesn't work with the people that are trying to make it or the people that are trying to make money off of it. So, like, the way that they should have promoted this would have been completely different. I mean, the the action sequences are so strong. Like, they should have just flexed those, like, standalone without any context and then drawn back to, like, you know, I, I don't know. But it annoys me that somebody does something good like this. And then they put it on at midnight, and you barely know anything about it until six months later. <laughs> wakey, wakey, Robbie. Oh. Closing remarks, sir. I have none. I I enjoy this episode uh, of Resolute. It's very good. I thank you. I thank you. <laughs> uh, well, I guess that just leaves it up to me. Um, and I'm going to actually address something that Paul raised about Resolute not being able to continue because it caps off so much of its own content. It's a very difficult point of departure for an ongoing series. But it's been six years since Resolute, and I'd like to pose a hypothetical to you, our listeners out there. Six years have passed. Imagine where our hobby would be if we were sitting on top of six seasons worth of this cartoon. Just mull that over for a bit. I thank you. It's been a blast. It's been our 60th episode, and it's been a bumper episode at that. So from Steven... And Robert. And shit's gonna get real, Paul. (laughs) Cujo. We bid you farewell and yo-jo. Or... Cobra! Cobra! I didn't know he had a ninja.